Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. It's three minutes past six. It's Tuesday, the 11th of September, and out of the corner of my eye, I can see the papers have just arrived, so I'll look through those in a bit. Britain is officially the best country in the world at sports. Apart from cricket and tennis. After 76 years, Britain finally has another male Grand Slam champion. We'll talk about Andy Murray's success in a bit. Is there any hope for deprived areas in the three counties? And we talked about it yesterday and last night it was on. Did you watch Citizen Khan? It's the BBC sitcom that looks at a Muslim family. It's caused controversy. Well, today we'll be asking, is it ever acceptable to laugh at religion? BBC Three Counties Radio. We did, I did watch Citizen Khan. I watched episode one last night and uh, uh, episode three this morning. I tell you what, it's never very good watching a comedy programme at four o'clock in the morning. It, it, it struggles. I'll be honest, it made me chuckle a couple of times. I didn't think it was very funny. I didn't think it was very funny. I thought it was a little bit of a stinker. There were a couple of chuckles in it. Um, I thought it was a little bit of a stinker. Uh, but we will be um, asking, we, we've got some people coming in today, uh, um, a couple of Muslim gentlemen, who one of whom thinks it's fine to have comedies that involve Islam, and one who thinks, actually, you, you know what, it's a no-no, and programmes like that are debasing the religion. And I want to open that up into, th- th- so it's not just talking about Islam. Is it ever acceptable to laugh at religion? Whatever faith you are of, or maybe you are of none, Do you get offended when you see comedies or jokes about various religions? You can give us a call on that now if you want. 08459 455 555 or you can text 81333, starting your text 3CR. But before that, after 76 years, Britain has a male Grand Slam champion. The last person to do it was T-shirt designer Fred Perry. Can you believe that? It was a five-set, five-hour nail-biter in New York, but Andy Murray finally did it. The 25-year-old, is he only 25? He looks older than me. Has won the first Grand Slam of his career, beating the world number two, Novak Djokovic, in the final of the US Open. We can go to our tennis expert, uh, Gavin Lee. Are you, are you a tennis expert, Gavin? I am now, Ian. <laughs> can I ask you, before we go into this yeah. properly, can I ask you one question which I'm hoping you can answer? I know nothing about tennis. Yeah. What is a Grand Slam? It's, a Grand Slam is if you win any of the major Opens. Right. So if you win the Australian Open, uh, the Wimbledon, if you win the US uh, Open, they are you know, the definitive type, the zenith. You have reached your peak in your elite sport. You are the best of the best. And you know, if you can win them all, that's wow. even rarer, but no. to get one is unspeakable. In fact, you know, 76 years is, was the last time, so not that many people probably will remember. You know, everyone talks about Fred Perry still. I don't know how many people could actually describe what he looks like It's anymore. the T-shirts, isn't it? That's why his it, name lives on. It probably is, yeah. But, you know, what an incredible, incredible achievement. A great moment for British tennis, wasn't it, last night, really? Yeah, yeah I mean, from the start, it was a really windy day uh, in, or night, should I say, as well, in New York. Five hours, so four hours, 54 minutes. The first two sets, Andy stormed through. It was a tie-break on the, the first, 7-6 and 7-5. Uh, there was a third and fourth set. You know, he looked like he was absolutely shattered in pain. He lost them both to Djokovic. I mean, Djokovic is, is the defending champion, t- uh, too. He, uh, Djokovic took them 6 2 6-3. It was a last set that you know, you know, all of the celebrities watching the crowd from the likes of Sean Connery and Kevin Spacey all um, you know, 
actually looking pretty stressed. He, they, he took the last set 6-2. They were incredible rallies. They both had uh, the, the movements and the running was extraordinary. I think they both ran the equivalent of a marathon, oh some of the sports God. analysts have said. Uh, and you know, some of the past greats who were also watching said this was a match with some of the best tennis ever seen. Uh, it was, I think, the grit, the determination that saw Andy Murray through. And he said after, his body was screaming with pain. Yeah. And you could see that. He was trying to, he almost seemed to wince as he lifted the trophy. His arms and legs were that tired. And actually, just to see him smile, you know, it's, it's almost an oxymoron. But, you know, just to see that smile, you, you can see it, it seems to have changed, absolutely changed his life last night. Gavin, we've got 20 seconds. Is it good enough for him to win Sports Personality of the Year? I think he's the outside bet now. Yep. You know, you've got Mo Farah, David Weir, Bradley Wiggins. Those are the top three contenders for me. It's completely subjective. But, you know, if he'd won Wimbledon, I know he got to the final and took Olympic gold, but maybe the dark horse. Gavin, thank you very much, Gavin Lee, who is now officially... Um, uh, uh, this, this show's tennis correspondent. <coughs> Excuse me. Well, there's, it, this raises a couple of questions, doesn't it? First of all, you heard me ask Gavin there, is it enough to get him sports personality of the year? I think the term personality is perhaps a, a little bit generous with Andy Murray. I like the fact that he's a bit grumpy and a bit dour, a bit dour. I like that. We, we expect everybody to be... All like a contestant on the X Factor, screaming and bouncing up and down and hugging Dermot O'Leary. I kind of like the fact that he's a bit dry. But if you heard his press conference from last night when he won, he was cracking jokes. He was being quite funny, just in a very slow, quiet way. Why should he be swinging from chandeliers and lighting cigars with £50 notes? Why should he? You know, good, good for him that he's being a bit different. So I like that. But is he going to be Sports Personality of the Year? Probably not. So it raises a question there, doesn't it? Who is going to be Sports Personality of the Year? I'm not quite sure when it is. Is it, is it September, October, sometime they do that? There are, it's impossible to choose this year, isn't it? Because you think it'd be... Oh, Bradley Wiggins, he won the Tour de France. Oh, hang on. But then we had Mo Farah. Oh, but hang on. And there, there are just too many possibilities. So 08459... Four double five, five double five. Who's your nomination for sports personality of the year? But talking more about uh, uh, the tennis, there was a big change, wasn't there, last night in uh, Andy Murray's attitude? I th- I, I, we're going to get a sports psychologist on hopefully uh, later on in the show, uh, who I think is he's probably going to say it's it's his positivity, his positive mental attitude. So when has being positive, dear listener, helped you? When have you? achieved something that you didn't think you could but you were just you were so positive you were so focused you were so determined that just that positivity was enough to bring you through and pull you through oh eight four five nine four double five five double five you can text eight one three double three start your text three cr who's going to win sports personality of the year and when has being positive helped you it's ten past six Switch you after this, the Eurythmics. The Eurythmics, sweet dreams. Good morning, this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. Let's have a quick look at the papers, shall we, before we crack on. And uh, the, <laughs> the last few days, all of the papers have had the same front page. No different today. It's the Olympic parade. Look at this amazing picture on the front of the Guardian. The last hurrah. And it is uh, a picture of uh, Trafalgar Square and the Mal, the Mal, the Mal, the Mal, the Mal, Limal. Was, no, he was a singer in a pop band, wasn't he? The Mal. 
Uh, just full of people uh, celebrating the Olympics yesterday. My sister was there and she posted some fantastic photos on Facebook, including one of uh, Mo Farah doing the Mobot, of course. He's doing the Mobot. Uh, the Daily Telegraph. Um, with more pictures of uh, athletes doing a human pyramid. You don't see enough human pyramids these days. One last hurrah echoed through the capital and the nation. Then, like the great British summer of sport, it was all over too soon. I think that a lot of writers in newspapers are going to be upset the Olympics are finished because it gives them a chance to be very flowery in their prose, doesn't it? Uh, the Times... Oh, it's got he's, the, the Times have got Andy Murray on. They, uh, they did well. Um, a grand finale. Murray's first slam seals our glorious summer of sport. The Independent uh, pictures of um, thousands of people in Trafalgar Square. The Daily Express. Simple way to beat diabetes. They've boxed the trend. Experts reveal lifestyle changes that will help save thousands of lives. Uh, the Daily Mirror. Thanks a million. Uh, just thousands of people there in Trafalgar Square. Um, the Sun. Um, thank you to our Olympic and Paralympic heroes. The Daily Mail. It's the same thing. Thanks a million. Superb. There we go. Well done, everybody, indeed. It's 6.15. It's Tuesday, the 11th September. These are your headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. Andy Murray has won the US Open, becoming the first British man to win a Grand Slam singles tennis title in 76 years. A meeting will be held tonight to discuss Love Luton Festival's financial shortfall of almost £400,000. More on this later in the show. In sport, Roy Hodgson has urged England's footballers to harness the feel-good factor brought about by the Olympic Games in tonight's World Cup qualifier against the Ukraine. We'll have a full weather bulletin in a moment. And coming up after 6.30, we'll be asking, is the local housing available for elderly people good enough? BBC Three Counties Radio. What other show... Seriously, think about this for a second. When have you ever heard another show broadcasting the turning on of a new lawnmower? Never. Only on Jonathan Vernon-Smith, BBC Three Counties. Do you listen up? Sony Gold. Now, yesterday we asked you to watch Citizen Khan, BBC sitcom based on a Muslim family. It was on last night. I watched a couple of episodes yesterday. I watched the first episode, and this morning I watched about 20 minutes of uh, last night's episode. Mm. I chuckled a couple of times. It was a little bit of a stinker, if I'm completely honest. Uh, I was surprised. It looked, we were saying in the office, it looked very 1990s. It's basically keeping up appearances, isn't it, with a Pakistani family. The script could be be for keeping up appearances. But, more importantly, when it comes to breaking stereotypes of the Muslim faith, do programmes like Citizen Khan promote a positive image of Muslims? Have a listen to this. All right, all right, keep your head on. Hello, Dave. She's gone, Mr. Khan. What? Nanny John, I've lost her. What do you mean you've lost her? How can you lose an 80-year-old Pakistani woman? I got confused. There are too many of them. Careful, Dave. That sounds a bit racist. <laughs> I just meant they all look the same. That's better. <laughs> See, now, that, that bit actually was quite uh, amusing. Later on, we'll be hearing from a Muslim man from Milton Keynes. He says scenes like that are very offensive to Muslims and a complete mockery to the religion. So today I'm asking, is it ever acceptable to laugh at religion. Oh, wait, 459 455 555. You can text 81333. Start your text 3CR. We've got uh, Marion in Stevenage is calling. Good morning, Marion. Good morning. Thank you for getting in touch. Oh, that's a very uh, husky uh, <laughs> voice you've got there. It's too early in the morning for me. It's too early in the morning for me, I tell you. <laughs> is it ever acceptable to laugh at religion, Marion? Well, I've been doing it for donkey's years. I mean, you've got Father Ted, the vicar of Dibley, 
Um, oh, Gushing Gators. Oh, the the Vicar of Gillies a comedy, is it? I never realised. Oh, yeah, <laughs> Thank exactly. You. And let me just say, and now this, it's very simple. If the actors thought it was wrong, they wouldn't be doing it. I remember when Father Ted came out, there was some controversy about that from the Catholic faith. Yeah. But I mean to say, if people can't laugh at themselves, who can they laugh at? They've got to learn to, they've got to learn to relax and be a bit more, I mean to say, if you can't laugh at yourself and if you can't think, they take it too seriously. But some people, listen, I don't know if you're of a particular faith or leaning, Marion, but uh, some people uh, do take their faith very seriously and they do get uh, very upset if it looks like they're being mocked in any way should they just lighten up a bit yes everybody should lighten up if because that's i mean i'm not gonna i'm not gonna say anything drastic but i mean to say the catholics and protestants one war somebody else another war you know i mean it's only it's only religious wars more than anything that sticks out doesn't it Marion, thank you very much for calling at this time of the morning. Go and have a nice cup of tea. That's what I would do. So I, I bring in my own slightly poncy tea bags. Uh, and I had one tea bag in my bag. I was very excited. I got it out to make a cup of tea. It had ripped. So, Marion, go and have yourself a nice cup of tea. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. What do you think? Is she right? Should, should people just lighten up a bit and have a laugh? If you are of a particular religious faith, whatever it may be, do you get offended? By programmes like Citizen Khan, by programmes like Father Ted. I do remember when Father Ted started. I remember watching the first episode and thinking it was the funniest thing I'd seen in a long, long time. But there was a flurry about it. People were furious uh, that, that, that something so offensive. Well, just look at um, The Life of Brian as well. The Monty Python film. Now, it's not if you watch it, it's not actually about Jesus. It's not actually about Christianity. It's about people... Uh, who follow religions blindly, but the, the 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 outrage that was caused at the time that was thirty years ago. Have we moved on at all? Is it ever acceptable to laugh at religion? Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. You can text as well eight one three double three. Starting your text three CR. Good morning. This is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. After take that, we'll be asking: Is Britain really broken? Never a phrase, I'm quite sure what I, what I know what it means, but never mind. 08459 455 555. Take that, could it be magic? Barry Manilow song, of course. Now, I have a soft spot for Barry Manilow. But it gets not, but he's good, he's good. He's good. You try writing a pop song like this, go on, try it. You can't, can you? Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. 25 past 6, 26 past 6, for those who want to be precise. Is Britain really broken? That's the question that we're asking this morning following a panorama documentary which spent several months following life on one of Britain's most deprived housing estates in Blackburn. One part of Milton Keynes that's working hard to improve life for the local community is Connyborough. The estate has been given a million pounds to invest over the next years from the lottery's big local project. Joy Cow, chair of the community association, is excited about the possibilities. Most certainly. I think people are beginning to look forward to things changing. It's in its infancy. Um, but we're working towards having fun days to get people more interested and to see what we can do together within the community to make it a better place to live. But she admits it's a challenge to keep a community spirit alive on the estate. I think there's always been a strong community spirit, but you always have to work hard to keep it. 
people's situations change, people move, um, there's a lot of migration in the community. So we have to constantly renew and refresh in order to bring in the new people that come into the area and get them interested in their own community to, to ensure that we make it become better. And here's what the money will target in Conneborough. I think there's many skills, talents within every community, but the ability to be able to do something with it is very hard. Everything costs. Communities do need it. I dare say not only our community, but there are several other communities within Milton Keynes and around the country that needs um, that kind of investment. The thing about the, the, the money that comes to Big Local, it really is not for personal gain. It really is for the community. So whatever ideas or whatever skills we, we bring to it, we have, have to understand that it is for the benefit of the community. Now, the, the thing is, is money always the solution? Because you can throw money at places, and it doesn't necessarily... I'm not speaking about Connie Barrow in particular here, speaking generally. It, 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 it doesn't necessarily make places safer. It doesn't necessarily build a community spirit. You kind of think that with some places, they've been designed very badly. Again, not anywhere specific. You think, maybe they should just knock it down and start again. Just knock it down, start again, build it so it looks a bit nicer, there aren't all weird little dark alleyways, it's not all a bit spooky and a bit threatening. 08459 455 555. Where should we knock down? There's a question, isn't it? Don't forget, we're, we're throwing lots of questions at you this morning. I'll give you two of them just now, shall I, so you don't get too bogged down. We do need your help. Is it ever okay to laugh at religion? And when has being positive helped you? You can text me 81333, starting your text 3CR. You can tweet at BBC3CR. I'd rather you gave me a phone call, though. 08459 455 555. Time now to get the latest news and sport with Catherine Boyle. Across beds, hearts and bucks, this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. Good morning. Here's what we're talking about. Andy Murray won the US Open, the first British man to win a Grand Slam sing, uh, singles tennis title in 76 years. When he walked out on court, he looked like a winner. So I want to know, when has being positive helped you? And also, Citizen Calm was on last night. Did you see it? We spoke about it yesterday. It was on very late, so maybe you didn't see it. It was on half past ten. Uh, it's a BBC sitcom about a Muslim family. Is it ever OK to laugh at religion? Whatever faith you, you're from. 08459 455 555. You can text 81333. Start your text 3CR. Now, why do people do this? They do this for charity, but I'd rather write a fact check. People ask me, um, I've been asked to run the marathon before. And I say, I'll write you a check. I would much rather, the, the, the effort in writing a check is easier than running 26 miles. Well, these people are uh, well done to them for doing it. Over 100 uh, people abseiled off the side of a 17-storey building in Watford yesterday. <laughs> I'm such a wimp. I'm not a fan of heights. Well done, but... Richard Harrington, MP, and Mayor Dorothy Thornhill joined in to help raise £50,000 for the Peace Hospice. Well done, you. They're also there to celebrate the Community Housing Trust's fifth birthday. Jenna Benson asked Chief Exec of the Trust, Tina Barnard, how her nerves were holding up. I was OK this morning about 7 o'clock. Now I'm absolutely petrified. Trouble is, it was actually my idea. About a year ago, I said, oh, let's celebrate our fifth birthday. Let's abseil for the... Uh, high rise i was thinking it was going to be other people and not me that was actually going to be doing it there is a very special reason why people have decided to to put themselves over the side of this 17 story building (laughs) 
and it, it's all for a very good cause. It is. It's for the Peace Hospice, which is our local charity. Uh, we're hoping to raise £50,000. We've already raised over £20,000 online, so we think we'll actually make that target. So really excited about it. And why did you choose this building in particular? We transferred five years ago today and the reason why we transferred from Watford Borough Council was to actually improve our homes and one of the things we had to do was improve both of uh, these tower box and that cost us four million pounds and actually this is celebrating all the work that my team has actually done over the last five years and it's also the tallest building in Watford. The abseils don't start for another half an hour at least the marquee is up the registration is starting to fill up lots of people arriving quite shaky people <laughs> including me <laughs> but arriving and prepared to abseil do you think this is going to be a fitting celebration um definitely it's not just the abseil though we're actually doing a lot of things out in the community uh, we're painting the subway we're doing grounds maintenance uh, we're painting the shops and some of our garages uh, we're also doing something at the sports legacy zone which we've called watford wipeout um whereby uh, some of the teams actually do um, it's more a bit it's a knockout we thought watford wipeout sounded a bit more uh, high Brown, really. My name is Joe Dumont. I'm the communications and marketing manager at the Trust. Uh, I've raised £250 for today. Hi, um, Julie Robinson, Director of Resources at uh, the Trust. Um, I'm also a trustee at the Peace Hospice on the board there. Um, and so far I've raised, um, I think it's about £1,300. So um, really worthy course. Just hope that I can actually do it when I uh, get up there. <laughs> well, the time's coming. We are now on the 17th floor, standing outside, and the first people have gone down. You're next. Yeah. <laughs> it does look um, very uh, flimsy, and it's quite windy up here. So, uh, so yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm feeling slightly terrified at the moment. I was fine until a couple of minutes ago. It's really windy and you can see for miles and everything looks tiny. It's a bit of weight on the rope. You just have to feed it through. So um, it, you just need to control it with that. Right, OK. OK, happy? Reasonably. Fantastic. That's it, a bit more. A bit more. Feet apart, Joe. down. Keep I'm 171 feet up in the air, and I'm very, very scared, and I'm not daring to look down. God, I feel sick. <laughs> Honestly, I'm shaking. Julie, you've done it. I did. I thought I was going to smash into the wall. It's just because you, if you lose the thing of stepping, I just thought I'm going to go... I can't say I'd say I enjoyed it at all. I'm just relieved I'm at the bottom and in one piece. And thank you to Joe because he was talking with me. Because <laughs> I was going, I can't do this anymore. I can't do it. I'm coming back up. <laughs> Joe, what about you? Oh, it, it's, it's not pleasant. No, it's not pleasant. Did you hear those nervous giggles? Proper nervous giggles of fear. Good work, well done. That's um, 100 people abseiling off the side of a 17-storey building to celebrate the Community Housing Trust's fifth birthday, and they raise over £50,000. So good work there. Well done. I ain't never joining you doing that, all right? Look, I'm asking you a simple question. Is it ever acceptable to laugh at religion? I've tweeted that. And then at Sharon ASX has replied to me, define religion. Uh... You know, like religion. <laughs> don't, don't get clever. It's a simple question. Sharon at sex. <clears throat> Define religion in inverted commas. You know, like religion. We are asking and uh, looking for your input. 
on this this morning. Uh, is it ever acceptable to laugh at religion? 08459 455 555 is the telephone number if you want to give me a call on that. It's because of this Citizen Calm programme last night that it, this has brought it up. Uh, and if you watch Citizen Khan, can you give me a call? Let me know what you thought of it. It was on quite late, so maybe some of you didn't uh, watch it. I, I, if I'm honest, we had one of the, the stars in yesterday, Nish, uh, who was a delightful chap, and who was actually very funny in the show. He had a small part, but it was, uh, it was very funny. It's a small part, but it's what you do with it that counts. But th- the show itself was, I thought, a bit of a stinker, really. It looked like keeping up appearances it looked like they were using the same scripts of keeping up appearances they just changed it in and made it a pakistani family and it looked like it was shot you know programs from the 90s they look they have a look about them well this had that look about it it did make me chuckle a couple of times but i i did think oh yes it's a little bit of a stinker but it it has caused controversy Um, in that some uh, um, Muslims are saying, well, hang on a minute, whoa, hey, it's taking the mick. You can't do that. It's disrespectful. Uh, some Muslims are saying it's doing a positive thing. You know, it's, it's, it's educating and it's making uh, Islam part of the mainstream where perhaps it's still seen a little bit on the fringe of things. Uh, so I want to broaden it. <coughs> Excuse me, I do have a frog in my throat this morning. I, I want to broaden it to cover all religions. So whatever faith you are from, is it ever acceptable to laugh at religion? And, and Sharon ASX on Twitter, religion, you know, it's like, religion? I don't, what, what more do you want? <laughs> it's, it's a pretty straightforward word that that's what it means. 08459 455 555 is the telephone number. You can text as well. 81333. Starting your text. 3CR. I'm asking for a lot of work from you this morning, dear listener. I've, I've realised that, that, that this is day four of me being here. Day four of, of the new regime. I've been working a little bit too hard. I'm kind of beat already, so I want you to do a bit of the work. The other thing I'm asking you is, on, on the back of Andy Murray's uh, the win last night, the game went on for just under five hours five hours i would i would get to like two hours two and a half hours and go do you know what it's not worth it you can have it go on go on you can have it but it went on for just under five hours and uh it um okay uh it went on uh, for just under uh five hours and was an incredible uh, incredible uh, barnstorming appearance. I'm just going to have a little word with my producer. Really? It's a three-hour, three-minute-long package? You want that before the travel? Do you? <laughs> no, if you want it, we'll do it. We're having what I would like to call a production meeting on air. This is a no-no. We never do this. Uh, <laughs> 08459 455 555 is the telephone number. Andy Murray had a, a positive attitude last night that perhaps surpasses any attitude he's had previously. Would you, uh, have you ever had, uh, been helped by having a positive attitude? How has it helped you? I must admit, the glass is always half empty, as far as I'm concerned. It's always half empty. I'm very negative in my outlook. Has having a positive attitude ever helped you? 08459 455555. Good morning, it's 6.45. It's Tuesday, the 11th September. These are your headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. Andy Murray has ended Britain's 76-year wait for a male Grand Slam singles champion with an epic victory over Novak Djokovic in the US Open final. 
A special meeting will be held tonight to find out why the Love Luton Festival cost £100,000 more than expected. More sports, Sebastian Coe has confirmed his intention to put himself forward to become the next chairman of the British Olympic Association. And your weather across beds, hearts and bucks. Sunny spells and showers today feeling fresher than of late with a top temperature of 70 degrees. 17. One seven, just in case you misheard that and got a bit panicked. Coming up after 7am, did you watch Citizen Khan last night? We're asking, is it ever okay to laugh at religion? You can text 81333, starting your text 3CR, or you can give us a call 08459 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Emily Sunday doing an excellent impression of Beyonce there, I thought. Good work, you. Well done. I like that. Uh, we're asking about positivity after uh, Andy Murray's success last night. When has positivity ever helped you? 08459 555. Joe in Letchworth is calling. Morning, Joe. Morning, Ian. How are you? Are you? I'm, I'm all right, thank you. Are you a positive person? I am now much more positive. Go on, what um, happened? Well, back in October, um, I had a bit of, a, bit of an issue, so I went to, the, went to the doctors and then went for a scan, and then it turns out I had, I had a big old lump on my kidney, big kidney cancer. Ooh. So in January, I had that removed, yeah. okay, and in the hospital, I was lying in the bed, I had pipes and things coming out of me, and do you know what, mate, I was... This I said, I, you know, I was crying when I went down for my surgery, and as soon as I, I come back from theatre, I was... You know, I really, I did not want to be in that hospital. I just yeah. wanted to get better. And I was out in three days. And again, that was all down just just being positive. Hang on a minute, now, hang on a minute. You, you were out in three days after having the tumour removed from your kidney? No, having a kidney and the kidney And you had the whole well. kidney taken out. Right, you're, you're out in three days. That's incredible, Joe. Yeah, but again, it's friends, family, being positive and just working hard at it, mate. Because like you say... You said you're quite negative. Now, yeah, I think very. naturally, naturally, we're all negative. Yeah. It's, it's, oh, it's too hard, we can't do that. But, you know, considering the Paralympics and you've seen some of those people, you, you've, you've yeah. really got to start looking at your own lives and just thinking, hang on a minute, it, it could be worse. So, so the, positivity, the, pos- the positivity helped you. I- I'm guessing the medical treatment and the drugs they gave you helped as well. Uh, the treatment they did, I took myself off the painkillers after did the you? first day, mate. Did yeah. you really? Wow. I'm not, I'm not a sadomasochist or anything like that. <laughs> but I was just, you know, if I'm going to get better and I want to get better quick, then I, you need to be able to, to feel the pain and not feel groggy because your recovery then has become slow. So, yeah. And again, it's, it's I know it's easier said than done, but do you know what? You only get one shot in life, mate. So you and Joe, you're, you're all clear now. You're, you're all good. Um, actually, yes, I am. I was. Um, I, I visited your lovely studios yesterday, and I had it all clear from the doctor. No sign of metastatic disease, so I have Joe, officially beaten cancer. I, I have to tell you, Joe, that any person you saw in this building was probably not a qualified doctor. No, no, no. But that is... oh, oh, you, you went to see. I saw you came in to talk about it yesterday. You, you'd been to see a doctor. I see. I apologise. I thought you visited Jonathan Vernon Smith. He's had his doctor's license removed. I, I apologise, Joe. That's cracking news, mate. Well done. Congratulations. Well, there we go. There's a story of positive, and you do hear that about uh, cancer in particular. Is that being positive just kind of gives you that little bit of extra strength that you need to get through. Oh wait, four five nine four double five five double five. We'll speak about women bishops after this. Now, apparently, it's one of the biggest decisions of the last five hundred years, and something which will change the face of the church forever. Today, the Church of England will meet to finally decide if we will ever see a woman bishop.
Christina Reese is a priest from Royston and a member of the General Synod of the Church of England. Good morning, Christina. Good morning, Ian. We've spoken about this before, haven't we? I think when I filled in for Jonathan. <laughs> once uh, or twice. Once or twice. Twelve years on, we're still debating why has a decision not been made? Oh, it, it, it's a lot of history. But um, what I have to say is that today it's uh, the bishops are meeting. Right, okay, all it's the bishops, yeah. It's the General Synod, okay. the, the body I sit on. It's the bishops are meeting and they are considering... Well, let me, let me take you back in time mm. to, um, as you say, we've been debating this formally in General Synod, which is the church's parliament, for 12 years. And we had legislation that that more or less everyone said this is good legislation. It was put out to the diocese and all the diocesan synods voted on it and 42 out of 44 said yep um, and passed it. That's pretty good odds, yes. Yeah, and then um, less than two months before the meeting where we were going to f- have the final vote on on it in July, the bishops, when they met in May, said let's tweak it a bit let's throw in this little amendment which is completely in their you know they have the right to do that this is their get out clause isn't it yeah but yeah but what they did is they suggest they put in two amendments one is absolutely fine it's just clarifies a little bit um of something which seemed to be helpful to some people that Mm. was passed but we when we saw this those of us on general synod who are very Um, pro getting on we're saying yes to having women as bishops uh, we said well this introduces a concept that synod has debated several times before and it carries the implications about um, something about women that are really unsavory and that's not where we are as a church overall and so we thought, what are we going to do? Mm. And so between the end of May and July, we decided and we found a wonderful standing order that, that allowed us to ask for the entire debate to be adjourned, go back to the bishops and say, please, guys, because um, they are all men. That's the whole point of this debate. Um, please think again and please remove this um, amendment you put in. Mm. So today, yesterday, they met yesterday afternoon, they're debating it today, and on tomorrow morning they're taking the decision of what they're going to um, bring back to Synod in November. So oh, it just goes so on and on. I know, I know. How frustrating is this for you, Christina? Um, so frustrating, I, you know, I, I have built a, a special brick wall in my back garden so I can bang my head against <laughs> it. <laughs> Good for you. Oh, well, listen, the simple question. Are we ever going to see a female bishop? Is it going to happen? Yes, because I'm a positive person, Ian. Ah, well done. Good for you. <laughs> um, and we are going to see it, of course. It's just whether we'll see it in a year or so, mm. um, because uh, if even if we say yes in November, then it has to go to the Houses of Parliament. They have to vote on it. And, of course, they're chomping at the bit. So many MPs and peers have said, please send us this legislation and make sure it's good legislation, mm. no discrimination. And then it needs um, the royal assent, and and then and then it's just a matter of time before there's a vacancy for a bishop, and someone has to say, "Yep, we want her." And there are many, many, many fine women who would I'm make sure. brilliant bishops. I'm sure there are. Well I, well, I don't know why people are against this. Um, part of it is, I think, just it doesn't say in the Bible you can't have women bishops, does it? Uh, no. Okay, no, I, there we go. No. It it it. 
I think some some people's understanding of women, and this is the most serious thing, mm. think that women cannot be ever in authority over men, mm. which raises all sorts Isn't of interesting questions. Yeah, like, are women slightly, you know, we talk about, you know, human beings are made in the image of God, but it seems that if you push, 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 some people think that men are made just that little bit more in the image of God. Well, you come from my spare rib, don't you? Isn't that, isn't that the story? Uh, I think. Yes. Well, al- al- alas, some people, some people take that not as the, oh. the beautiful, descriptive um, concept of f- the fact that uh, men and women were meant to be together mm. and working with each other and loving each other um they take it as a hierarchical you know of that, course they that do. you know and and it, it's it's really really sad christina we're running out of time we've got 30 seconds very quickly on a slightly different subject we're talking uh, this morning about laughing at religion because there's this new series uh, citizen khan that's, that's based on the muslim family and you keep talking about the bishops reminds me of the monty python sketch look out it's the bishop <laughs> is it ever acceptable to laugh at religion more than that it's imperative um, you know, if you know, if you can't laugh at it, then you're not engaging with it, and and you're not potentially exposing its its flaws. And and think of the wonderful, wonderful way that Jewish people have have laughed at religion, laughed at God, even in the face of horrendous circumstances. We need to laugh at religion, and of course, then when the jokes are over, then we need to need to pray and take it seriously but we have to laugh christina listen thank you very much we will no doubt speak to you several more times before this issue gets resolved there's christina reese who's a priest from royston uh, and a member of the general synod of the church of england female bishops it, it's taking an incredibly long time isn't it I, I find it fascinating that people are against it well there you go christina thinks it's okay to laugh at religion she says it's vital what do you think? 08459 455 555. Do you agree or do you disagree? We'll find out more after the news with Catherine Boyle. Good morning, this is Ian Lee. It's Tuesday, the 11th September. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Coming up in the next hour, we're talking about Andy Murray. He won the US Open, the first British man to win a Grand Slam singles tennis title in 76 years. He walked on the court looking like he owned it. We're asking you this morning, when has being positive helped you? Also coming up, a special meeting will be held tonight to find out why the Love Luton Festival cost £100,000 more than expected. And Citizen Khan, it was on last night. Did you watch it? It's a BBC sitcom about a Muslim family. Is it ever okay? to laugh at religion. You can text me 81333, start your text 3CR, or you can give me a call 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Well, almost 80 years later, Britain has finally got another male Grand Slam champion. It took five hours. A five-hour-long tennis match. I just... Seriously, two hours... I'd have gone, do you know what, you can have it, I'm going to go and play Xbox. It took five hours of nail-biting and stomach-wrenching, but 25-year-old Andy Murray beat the world number two, Novak Djokovic, in the final of the US Open. Peter Delaney has been a coach at Wolverton Tennis Club for more than 20 years. He's on the line now. Good morning, Peter. Good morning. Andy Murray finally wins a a Grand Slam. Uh, How big an achievement is this? Absolutely massive. It's it's a world championship in its own right, really. Um, I mean... 
you know, as a tennis player, you strive to do this, and uh, it's the ultimate, really. So, it's, you know, it's fantastic, absolutely fantastic. The thing is, because a lot of people are saying, well, Murray's, he's around at the wrong time. He's a brilliant tennis player, but there are some of the greatest tennis players of all time. This, how, how did he do it, do you think? Um, well, perseverance, really. Um, and he, he had to obviously change his game plan. He got a new coach in, uh, um, Ivan Lendl. And obviously between them, they, they, they put a plan together that, that won him the championship. And, of course, not forgetting Olympic gold. So, obviously, whatever he did worked. Can you, as a, as a, a tennis coach and prof- professional, have you, can you see his tennis has actually changed since he's got Lendl on board? He's changed it depending on the opponent, I think, right. rather than changed his whole game. So he's kind of, he's, he's perhaps got better at reading who he's playing and what he needs to do. I would say so, yeah, definitely. Do you see Andy Murray going on to win several more Grand Slams? You say he won uh, Olympic gold, he's won this. Is, it, is he unstoppable now? I wouldn't say unstoppable, because as you just said earlier about the, the champions that are there anyway, but certainly I would think he's going to win at least one more. We all hope so, as long as we don't put the burden that he must win Wimbledon. You know, as much as we'd like him to win Wimbledon, at the end of the day, he's still an open champion, which is, there's not many people can put their name to that, that's for sure. Yeah, well, exactly. It's one of those, it's, I remember when um, Bradley Wiggins was, was, you know, getting knocked in the Olympics a bit because they didn't win their first race. He should have just said, yeah, but I won the Tour de France, you know, exactly. beat that. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Lendl had kind of a similar history, didn't he? It took him a while to to win a Grand Slam, didn't it? It did. I think it was was it four or five attempts before he actually something won like that. Yeah. One? Yeah. So I mean, twenty five. He still got plenty of time in him to to win more than than one. That's for sure. You know. But as I say, let's not burden him too much with oh, we must win Wimbledon next. That's obvious. You know, nothing's obvious in in any sport really. What, what, I, I've got no idea. What kind of is the, the sort of retirement age for a, a male tennis star? Well, I would say it depends on on their their, their style of play. I mean, if you take someone like Federer, he's in his 30s at the moment, and I would think he's probably got another couple of years. So 30 nowadays, because they look after themselves incredibly well, you know, he's got a team of physiotherapists, uh, medical specialists, I would say he's 30, so he's got another five years at least, I would imagine. And what do you think this is going to do for British tennis? Are we going to see more youngsters coming through enthused and inspired by, uh, by Andy Murray? I would hope so. I, I think he, he's just, uh, he, he, for tennis, he's the man that's going to inspire, obviously. But if you look at the summer we've had, I think sport in general is going to be inspired by, by, by what's, what's gone on, really. Um, and, and hopefully, for us, Andy Murray's our tennis man, you know, and, and he does inspire some, some kids to come through. Peter, thank you very much. Peter Tulaney is a, a coach at Wolverton Tennis Club, been there for over 20 years. Uh, 08459 Now, we asked you yesterday as your homework, dear listener, to watch Citizen Khan last night. Did you watch it? Yeah, it's a little bit of a stinker. <laughs> it, it, it has its moments. It's a BBC sitcom based on a Muslim family, and when it comes to breaking stereotypes of the Muslim faith, do programmes like Citizen Khan promote a positive image of Muslims? Have a listen to this. All right, all right, keep your head on. Hello, Dave. She's gone, Mr Khan. What? Nanny John, I've lost her. What do you mean you've lost her? How can you lose an 80-year-old Pakistani woman? I got confused. There are too many of them. Careful, Dave. That sounds a bit racist. <laughs> I just meant they all look the same. That's better. Aaron, uh, Aaron Dew. I knew I'd get it wrong. We sorted this. Aaron Dew. <laughs> there we go. From Hat- oh, sorry. From Hatfield writes about racism and religious stereotypes in the UK today. He's been announced as one of six finalists in this year's Column Idol. If you win, you get to write a column in the Sun. Yep, that's right. It's um, absolutely fantastic. It's um, Column Idol is an opportunity for. Uh, young people to have a voice. Yeah. And you're saying that if you, you've got to present it to Lorraine Kelly, have you? I've got to present it to Lorraine Kelly and Labyrinth. Who's, who's, it's not the film, he's a, he's a rapper. 
He, yeah, he's okay. a rapper, so I'm, I'm quite nervous about that. I don't worry about him. They're, they're, they're pussycats, these rappers. <laughs> I've heard Lorraine Kelly is one of the nicest women in the world. Fantastic. So don't worry about oh, that. Good. Did you watch Citizen Khan? I've seen the first episode. What did you make of it? I am a big fan of Mr. Khan. Right, yeah. I'm a big fan of... I think he's one of those um, classic uh, comic monsters. Yeah. Uh, in the same vein of uh, Basil Forty. Because um, he's popped up on loads of other stuff. He was on Down the Line, yeah. uh, the radio show, and the spin-off of that Bellamy's People. And he's been on various little bits and pieces, hasn't he? Yeah, I've seen him in Bellamy's People, and uh, I think he's brilliant. The uh, the only, in my opinion, the only um, sin that uh, Sizzen and Khan commits is that the women don't really have very funny parts. Right. But I think that's nothing to do with it being a Muslim-orientated comedy. I think that's... Uh, sin of a lot of comedy. Mm, I think you know. I think you're right. It is very rarely in a in a sort of British sitcom. It's the men that get the funny lines generally. Yeah, pretty yeah. much. If you look at uh, Only Fools and Horses, yeah. all the classics. It is, and uh, for me, it, uh, I didn't think it was that funny. I think that was his only problem. I didn't find it offensive. Uh, I, I didn't. Th- and trying to watch it, obviously, I'm not a Muslim, but trying to watch it. Th- 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 I struggle to see why people would be offended by it because it was doing the same thing that a lot of old sitcoms did about Christianity when I was growing up in the 70s and 80s. It was just kind of Mm. poking fun at the figures of authority, I think. Yeah. And also I found it... I I learned something. I didn't know there were five pillars that Islam is based on and they they mentioned that a couple of times so I learned something (laughs) from it. Now, the the column that you want to write about is uh, is about Islamophobia. Yeah, that's right, yeah. You've got experience of it. Have you? Yeah, well, uh, my I should I should say that that um, you're not the typical looking. If there is such a thing, Muslim, you're. Oh, I, um, I'm I'm actually an atheist myself. You're an atheist, right? Uh, my dad converted to Islam. Okay, right. Mm. Uh, so you're you're, you're white. You, yeah. y- your dad's white. I'm assuming. Why, why and when did he convert? He converted uh, when I was about thirteen. So it's about nearly ten years ago now. Right. And. Um, he converted because he discovered Islam because he met my who was my stepmom now, yeah. and he he's, he learned about it and became a Muslim back then. What did what did you think when he when he said he was converting? I f- at first it was a bit of a shock yeah. because I, before that I didn't know any Muslims. Yeah. Islam didn't really touch my life at all, and then all of a sudden there was a Muslim in my life, and my dad converted to Islam. Yeah. So it was a bit of a shock, but it was very good. I think it was, on the whole, an eye opener, and I've managed to learn about a whole religion that I would have never have learned about. So, how have you experienced Islamophobia? Islamophobia, I think well, I was at school at the time, yeah. and. As a teenager, you can imagine that any little difference is uh, sort of taken, taken, you know, used against kids. You. Spot kids can smell a difference a mile yeah. off, and they magnify it and twist it. And, and do as you can imagine, being a, a ginger person with a uh, Muslim dad, <laughs> I can, I can, imagine, I, can yeah. I can stand. I stood out of the crowd, and yeah. uh, it was. Um, yeah, it was. It wasn't that difference wasn't celebrated. It was used against me. Uh, and that and that's the thing about kids, isn't it? Is they they do do that. And I've I've done stuff that I'm as a kid that I'm not proud of. I think it's part of growing up, isn't it? Yeah, it must have been hard work for you. Yeah, it was. It was very hard, but um, I it, I think on the whole, it's more of a positive experience having that connection to real Muslims. Mm. When do you find out if you've won this competition? What's, how, how does this progress? 
So, very soon, I have to uh, present my column in front of uh, Labyrinth. Yeah. And it's not his thing. real name. He wasn't born Labyrinth, was he? I don't know. You'd be, you'd be strange to call your kid Labyrinth. I w- yeah, but if I had a kid, I would um, call him Torok. There after, we go. After, yeah, after the game character. <laughs> well done. Yeah. <laughs> I call my daughter Lara. Lara. Yeah, but, yeah. but that's, that's by the by. So, so you've got to present that, and then, and then what happens? They, they ch- they're the judges, are they? Yeah, they're the judges, and also uh, Dominic... Um, I can't remember his surname, but he's the editor of The Sun. Oh, right, uh, Dominic Mohan, yes. Yes, yeah, yeah. and... Uh, and then soon after that, I'll find out. And if I'm lucky enough, I'll get my... Uh... Well, good luck. Oh, thank you. Uh, d- d- today, we should mention this. Uh, it's the 11th anniversary of 9-11, which mm. is incredible to think that was 11 years ago. You would were, were just have been a baby when that was... Yeah, I remember. I was, uh, I was in primary school back then and... Uh... Incredible times. Yeah. Do, you, do you think it's changed uh, West, the Western world's relationship with Muslims? I think... There's a lot of ignorance and misunderstanding of Islam, mm. and when people don't understand something like that, I think people like to put a face on Islam. Yeah. And unfortunately, because of the petrifying images that we've seen of uh, terrorist attacks, I think the face that people have put on is the face of terrorism. Mm. And I think you, pe- uh, a group of, or a religion doesn't have one face. I mm. mean... Very recently in the Olympics, um, Mo Farah, mm. who's a Muslim, he's, he's won two golds and is yeah. very, a complete and utterly different face. Yeah. And You're I'm absolutely right that people think, oh, hey, th- these people, all of Muslim is, uh, Islam is bad. Listen, Aaron, uh, I-, I wish you the best of luck with it. Let us know how you get on. Thank you. Uh, if, if, uh, uh, you'll win. I'm sure you'll win. <laughs> By the way, uh, Labyrinth is actually called Timothy McKenzie. Oh. You can see why he changed his name. Yeah. Uh, Aaron, <laughs> lovely to meet us. Aaron Dew there, who's uh, down to the final six uh, in this year's Column Idol. And if he wins, he gets the chance to write a column for The Sun. It sounds pretty good. It's 7.15. It's Tuesday the 11th of September. This is Ian Lee. And these are your headlines on BBC Three Counties Radio. Andy Murray has made tennis history by winning the US Open, his first Grand Slam title. A finance meeting will be held tonight to examine why the Love Luton Festival cost £100,000 more more than expected. In other sport, Roy Hodgson will make only one change for tonight's World Cup qualifier against uh, Ukraine, with either Gary Cahill or Phil Jagielka replacing an injured John Terry. We'll have a full weather bulletin in a moment, and coming up after 7.30. A panorama documentary tonight looks at some of the daily problems faced by families in one area of Blackburn. But is it a true reflection of broken Britain around the country? And is that a reflection of life here in the three counties? And we're also asking, is it ever acceptable to laugh at religion? 08459 455 555. You can text 81333. Start your text 3CR. We'll talk to you after this. BBC Three Counties Radio. Um, We're talking about women bishops as well. Um, It's going on and on. Will it ever happen? We've had an anonymous text. Why change something that's been good for hundreds of years? Just leave it, leave it as, it is, as it is. Making a woman bishop will just complicate things. What? How, how will it complicate things? What? Why? Why in any way is that going to complicate things? And Phil says, look, Phil agrees with me. Whenever anyone says the word bishop, I can't help but think of the crime-fighting clergyman on Monty Python known as the bishop. I know, it popped into my head the whole time. Uh, David is in Bedford. Good morning, David. Good morning, Ian. What's your take on uh, women bishops? 
Um, basically, I actually come from a traditionalist sector of the Church of England. It's kind of a sub-denomination, if you like. Right. It's actually called Forward in Faith. And basically, the parochial church council of any church um, can agree on whether they would like a woman priest or whether they would, wouldn't like a woman priest. Yes. It's not actually a question of sexism or gender. Right. It's actually a question of question. It's actually an issue of questioning what's in the Bible. Because supposedly Jesus was a man um, and the priest plays the role of Jesus when he's given out the communion wafer. Okay, now the Church of England... Do you think, do you think Jesus was a sexist? Um, I don't think he was a sexist. However, he did choose his disciples to be men, and I can't answer you as to why that is, um, but one day maybe we'll find out. However, he was a man, and the idea is that a priest plays the role of a man. Now, if the Church of England allow women bishops, okay, a parish that is chosen to only have a male priest they may well find themselves having a male priest who has been ordained by a woman. So the issue is that you will not be able to trace back the genuineness um, of the, the priest that's Are you saying that a, a priest that's been ordained by a female bishop is not genuine? I'm saying that I believe that a female bishop wouldn't have the authority in the religious grounds to ordain a man, and I, I would therefore question whether he is a genuine priest. Yes. David, what's your what's your relationship to the church? Do you work? Do you part? Do you work in the church? Um, I don't work in the church. I am a church goer. I, I attend church every week. Um, I also every year I go away on a youth pilgrimage to Altenham with the. Uh, with youth as the parish. Do you not think that uh, in 2012 that that, that, we, that women should be equal to men and they should have the same opportunities? I don't. I, I, I'm struggling, and I'm, I, I've got to admit, I'm not particularly Christian. I'm struggling to see how having women bishops could be such a problem. Okay, it's not. It's not an issue of equality. What it's a question. Of, what it's an issue of is questioning what it says in the Bible. If in ten years' time, but it doesn't say in the Bible you can't have women bishops, does it? It doesn't say that. No, but it says that the priest plays the role of Jesus. Now, if in ten years' time it's decided that alcohol is bad for you, does that mean that you can question whether we should be taking wine for communion? Alcohol and it, is bad it, for it you. It opens up. It opens up the floodgates to what you can actually question in the Bible. But alcohol is bad for you, isn't it? I thought. It is bad for you, yes. However, what? who's to say that the Church of England aren't going to question in ten years' time whether you should be having that as communion? Oh, but, 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 now, but David, though, that's, that come on, David, you're being a little bit silly. It's such a tiny, tiny amount that you have in communion. It's, it's, it's barely a sip, and quite often it's Ribena. It's an, I'm giving you an example. What I'm okay. saying is the Church of England shouldn't be able to question what is in the Bible. That, David, that, listen, we've got to move on. Thank you very much. Lovely to hear your views. 08459 four double five five double five. Do you agree with David, uh, who's a traditionalist, uh, and says that the, the, the part of the priest and the bishop, they're, they're playing the part of Jesus, so it has to be a man? Or do you disagree? 08459 four double five five double five. Hey, you're getting in touch this morning. Thank you. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. We're we're talking about, and this is a slightly lazy sort of shorthand, isn't it? Broken Britain. What does it actually mean? I'm not sure. But uh, there is a report saying that there are areas in Britain that are, are in desperate need of repair, and that's part of the problem that uh, in society. Uh, well, Pat in Houghton Regis is calling. Good morning, Pat. Good morning, Ian. Pat, what's your take on this? Well, we, we get governments that feed in investment into certain inner city areas or towns, etc., that need it, and then they take the same sort of thing they've built up, like leisure centres, away. And taking them away is not the answer. 
And if you think about the, the the Olympics and the legacy that we're supposed to all have when you're seeing leisure centres all over the country closing and swimming pools like in Houghton Regis, you're depriving those children of any facilities to keep them active and to keep them interested so in So is society. there actually a leisure centre in Houghton Regis that's closing down? Well, the leisure centre's uh, just been reopened again. Oh. Thanks for a, a group of residents that have got together and, and opened up, got someone to actually take up the contract. But the swimming facility has been taken away completely. Now, those children have got to go somewhere, and sometimes the swimming pools in the neighbouring towns are full up. So they can't go anywhere from their schools. And it's also dear to get on these buses or arrange transport. And this is where you get kids hanging on the st- around the streets doing nothing because there is nothing for them. And I, I never thought I'd say this, but this is what causes a lot of the problems. You can't just feed in an investment and say, right, we've got you this, and two years or three years down the line, take it away because of lack of funding. Pat, listen, it's, uh, you're, you're right. I kind of agree with you on that. Uh, and kids need swimming pools, don't they? They need somewhere to go and mess around. And, and Pat, we may look into that a little bit more. There may be something in that. Thank you very much. Moving on, just because we've got so much to cram in. Now, a special meeting will be held tonight to find out why the Love Luton Festival cost £100,000 more than expected. The four-day festival, which coincided with the Olympic torch relay, cost £100,000 more than expected, as I just said. So how did this happen? Sophie Solaria has the details. We are live in the middle of Wardown Park. It's the start of the Love Luton Festival. People across Hearts, Beds and Bucks are gearing up for a weekend of festivities. Welcome along. It's 7 o'clock. It's Friday night. It's BBC introducing live from the Love Luton 2012 Festival. The Love Luton Festival started off as a way for Luton Borough Council to showcase Luton. As well as celebrating the arrival of the Olympic torch, they wanted to demonstrate that Luton was a good place for living and entertainment. So tickets went on sale for Ollie Mers and the Wanted at £30 per person in January. The cost for the whole weekend was expected to come in at around £1.7 million, with an anticipated income of £1.19 million. In order to break even, the council needed to sell a minimum of 10,000 tickets on both the Friday and the Saturday night, and these tickets would have to have been sold by the 31st of March. However, this wasn't meant to be. BBC Three Counties Radio were aware that by this date only a fifth of its figure had been sold, and although Luton Borough Council repeatedly said they couldn't reveal how many tickets had been sold for contractual reasons, by June it became clear that sales were going badly. 15 quid. I think might be struggling to, to get the people to um, go, go and see them. Because I did read somewhere the music will be for everyone's tastes, but it's not though, is it really? £15 still quite a lot of money, and probably if I stand outside Pope's Meadow, I'll hear him anyway. And if you know, how do you get up from it? On the 13th of June, organisers of the Love Luton 2012 festival announced they were reducing ticket prices to just £15 each. The decision was made following a drop in ticket sales, combined with feedback from local people indicating that ticket prices were just too high. 
Trevor Holden, the Chief Executive of Luton Borough Council, spoke to Gareth Lloyd on BBC Three Counties Radio the day the announcement was made. Can we presume from what you're having to do with the, the cutting ticket price that you haven't got uh, anywhere near the 10000 Yeah, what I'm not going to do is kind of speculate over ticket sales. What I'm going to say is we've taken a bold step, and it is a bold step. These tickets are going to race out the door at £15. By the time July came, Luton Borough Council announced it had sold over 5,500 tickets, but under 2,500 were at the full price of £30. Then last week, Luton Borough Council announced a loss of nearly £400,000 of taxpayers' money. Chief Executive of Luton Borough Council Trevor Holden spoke again to BBC Three Counties, this time to Roberto on Drive. So, Trevor, it's even worse than you expected. Yeah, it is. The taxpayers of Luton have been lumbered with this one, and the question is going to be, are you going to resign over this? No, I'm not going to resign over this. And actually, you have to ask, how much were you complicit in that? Because all the way through, you kind of said, this isn't going to work, this isn't going to work, this isn't going to work. So it's my fault. You know, there's no getting away from the fact this has resulted in a loss. I can't even find a place to start. So whose fault was it? The weather? Lewis Hamilton's? Roberto's? A council meeting will be held at Luton Borough Council tonight at 6pm. Roberto should resign. Oh, my microphone was on. <laughs> no, I'm joking. I heard that bit on Roberto. It was incredible. Someone's got to take responsibility for it, haven't they? Someone has to take their rap. No one has put their hands up and said, it was me. Sorry, I messed up. Well, later in the programme, we'll be speaking to Martin Pantling, Lib Dem councillor in Luton. Martin will be at tonight's full council meeting, ready to see what the council has to say about the situation. Across beds, hearts and bucks, this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. Just arguing with my production team as to whether the Vicar of Dibley was actually funny or not. Uh, Busy show this morning, it's 7.32, we're talking about, um, oh no, I didn't even, (laughs) completely the wrong thing out. We're talking about Andy Murray who won the US Open uh, last night, the first British man to win a Grand Slam in 76 years. He walks out on court looking like a winner. And I want to know this morning, when has being positive helped you? It's that mindset, isn't it? I'm, I'm kind of very negative, and maybe I need to, uh, to, to be a bit more positive. So there's two things there. When has being positive helped you? And any tips for me to be a bit more positive? 08459 455 555. We're also asking uh, Citizen Khan. I don't know if you watched it last night. Uh, it's a BBC sitcom about a Muslim family. I want to know, is it ever okay to laugh at religion. That's why we were talking about the Vicar of Dibley. Because it was, it's a similar kind of thing. Is it ever okay? 08459 455 555. Maybe you're, you're from a strong religious background and you just find any slightly tongue-in-cheek reference to your faith uh, just sits uncomfortably with you. You think people are having a, a, a cheeky laugh at it. Um, Dave uh, has texted in, 81333, starting his text 3CR. Was Citizen Khan a comedy? It was the biggest load of rubbish I've ever seen in years. Uh, Vin says, of course it's, ac- it's okay. It's acceptable to laugh at anything that is a choice, including religion. Laughing at stuff that's not a choice is harder to feel comfortable with. Phil says, it's okay to laugh at religion as long as it's funny. And Dave in Luton says, any religion sends the brain wild. You pray for miracle, but it is ignored by the so-called gods. All religions should now be banned. It would save trillions, too. Dave, give me a call. 08459 455 555. It sounds like you've uh, been burnt by religion in some way. You pray for miracle, but it's ignored. What have you prayed for, Dave? 
Mick is in Milton Keynes. Morning, Mick. Oh, good morning. What's your take on laughing at religion? Is it ever acceptable? Well, we used to have um, the vicar of Dibley, yeah. who I mentioned to your um, switchboard a little while ago. Yes. And there were no complaints about that when it was on. And I used to work with uh, Muslim people, and they laughed and joked about it. I've never heard any of them complain. So, uh, do you think maybe, though, it's perhaps uh, more that in this country we are used to laughing um, at, at aspects of Christianity? Yeah. So, are you saying... I, I, I just want to get clear. Are you saying, Mick, that perhaps the Muslims that are complaining about this Citizen Calm programme just I, need... I, I should think there's just a few of them. Yeah. You know, it's, it's like when the Vicar of Dibley was on. Yeah. No one complained about that at all. Yeah, people laughed about it, and we well, really enjoyed it. Well, not everyone laughed about it, uh, Mick. I certainly didn't. You Mick, didn't oh. No, I didn't, I didn't find it particularly funny, but it's a gentle little throwaway thing. Mick, listen, yeah. thank you for that. We've got a chap coming on later on who finds um, Citizen Khan, Fountain and Khan, very offensive against his religion and thinks things like that shouldn't be allowed at all. Now, moving on. As ch- uh, Are children of parents who drink too much more at risk than those who abuse drugs? According to one report, they are, and they want the government to do more to protect them. Edmund Turbot is the co-author of Help Them Beat Booze. He's on the line now. Good morning, Edmund. Hi there. Children who see their parents drunk, what consequences can that have? Well, if the, if the uh, parent's got a serious drink problem, um, the child will definitely be adversely affected. And uh, if they don't receive treatment um, during their early years, they'll end up being what's known as an adult child of an alcoholic, which will manifest itself in many different ways with behavioural problems. Um, they tend to not to know the, the difference between what is normal and what isn't normal, and they have difficulty uh, with finishing projects, etc., um, and it becomes more difficult to get help when they get older. I mean, there are there are sources of help around that they can go to, but they're more plentiful, um, and it's easier to address the problem when they're younger. So uh, it, it, it would be impossible for it not to have an adverse effect on the so child, and I, they're going to be psychologically very damaged. Edmund, what are we talking about? Are we talking about the, those people that, that have two bottles of, of whiskey a day? Are we talking about those that come home and crack open three tins of beer? What, what, well, what no, is it? I think we're talking, in, in, in that respect, we're talking about people with serious yeah. drink problems with, with a, a physical dependency, so that's not, not three cans of beer a day. But, I mean, mm. the, the, it's, it's a fact that if you, if you have, you know, a, a parent or two parents who have got who suffer from serious alcoholism, you're far more likely to develop that yourself. And mm. uh, interestingly enough, you're far more likely to marry somebody who who um, suffers from that without realising it. And you could do it, you could actually have several partners like that. It's a sort of, a, <laughs> it's, a, some, it's just a recurring... Isn't that interesting? It, it is a recurring life theme. But I mean, generally, the idea that you know, parents who just drink heavily... Um, who haven't got to that stage yet in, in front of children, that, that is another mm. uh, big issue because uh, there's, a, there's a right and a wrong way of doing it. And experts do disagree on this. There's a lot to be said for sort of demystifying alcohol by, by giving a, a child a, a, a you know, sip of a, a watered-down glass of wine when they're younger. But, I mean, if you do come home and get drunk in front of them, yeah. that's not going to be, be setting a good example. And, and, you know, parents, a lot of parents, they, they, they put every last penny 
into moving into a house in the right school catchment area with the idea of trying to give their child a, a decent start in life, and yet they're causing them far, far more damage mm. than if they were going to a bad school <laughs> by the example they set at home. Isn't it interesting you mentioned uh, uh, the, the demystifying alcohol by perhaps giving watered-down booze to the kids? Because I, uh, 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 my boy's two and a half, he's, he's too young, but my... Uh, <laughs> I, I think I, that I, is too young. Well, you say that. My uh, father-in-law, who is a doctor, he's a very well-respected doctor, yeah. is constantly trying to get my boy to have a little sip of beer. And I'm well, going, you can't do that! He's two and a half! Well, I think two and a half probably is, uh, I think that's actually... Three. memory, that's actually illegal. I think you've got right. to be five before you're ah, allowed to have a drink. I can so, get him arrested. So, so, so uh... But I, rem- I do remember being, I don't know, four or five, and having a sip of my dad's beer. Is that helpful at all? Well, I, I personally wouldn't be offering to people who are four and five, but I think that, uh, somebody who's 14, mm. um, I certainly okay. uh, think that that's probably, you know, because if you, if you, if it's something that sort of they feel they've got to try behind your back, yes. then they're far more likely to abuse it, aren't they, if it's just something that's uh, accepted. But, I mean, d- experts do disagree on this. Yeah. Um, but there's definitely, uh, you know, th- 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 that's one way of doing it. And then it's also important to, another thing parents get wrong is they don't communicate with their children enough, ask them about their drinking habits. If they're, you know, in their teens and they're heavily drinking, they need to mm. talk to them more, but also set the right example themselves. And it's quite right that the government should be. Um, which there was a report out today, you know, saying that they should be taking more action, uh, interfering more in households mm. where parents have drink problems, because, I mean, they've been told by their own advisors that alcohol can be more harmful than Class A drugs like LSD and ecstasy. And the point is, if they take an interest in these households where the alcoholism is occurring, they can um, actually get the children to seek help at a younger age, right. which is going to solve an awful lot of problems later on. You mentioned drugs there. The, the part of the problem I would imagine is, and we, we did a phone in uh, a couple of days ago about uh, alcohol, is that alcohol is perceived as being more socially acceptable than drugs, isn't it? It's, yeah, oh, it's just, it's just a drink. I haven't got a problem. I'm just having a... That's I just right, need to because relax. everybody does it and they do it on telly and, and, and nobody can perceive of a way of having a good time without getting wrecked. Yeah. Or, or few people, anyway. So that, that is the problem. Is that it's, see, in the 1960s, this didn't happen. When people went out to have a to meet their mates, they tended to go to a sort of a, a, a coffee bar and uh, have a cup of coffee. Um, then when in the 1970s onwards, alcohol started becoming so cheap because they never put the, uh, the taxes up that it started becoming, you know, fashionable to get drunk, etc. Now it's just become sort of ingrained in our society as that's what you do. What um, can be done for the, for the parents, who, the, the, the people that have got these problems that, that could be influencing their children? What can be done to help them? Well, the government is being very short-sighted because there are, there are new medications around, which I, I've tried to put, you know, uh, int- interest people in Parliament about this, etc., and we just get fobbed off all the time. They work in other countries. Um, they need to be, you know, we need to have some clinical trials to get them fully licensed over here, but they, they, they can provide as, as near as, you know, for, for a lot of people approaching what I would call a, a magical cure, which everybody's looking for, whereby, but, basically, they can actually sm- allow people to go back to drinking in moderation, even if they've had a physical addiction, by really? just merely taking pills. Really? Yeah, and I'm not, I'm not talking... Yes, I'm not talking about the traditional ones but that make you throw is, up. But the thing Edmund, if someone... I've got, I've got friends who are alcoholics, or have been. If, if people want to drink... They, they will drink. They, surely you need to change well, the mindset, don't because you? because some pe- people drink... That's absolutely not true. Some people drink for different reasons, etc. A lot of people drink because they suffer from chronic anxiety. And it, if they do that, if they take uh, a drug called Baclofen, mm-hmm. which isn't actually licensed uh, in the UK for 
alcohol abuse, but it can be prescribed by your GP on a named basis if right. you want to help them. If you go to your GP, this is all detailed in Help Them Beat the Booze. We've got a section yep. on newer methods. If you go to your GP, and so it's got to be done with medical advice. I must stress that. Yes. It, it can't, don't, what, do not try this on your own. But if you go to your GP and you suffer from chronic anxiety, and indeed in other situations, back to then, it creates a sense of well-being so that you just don't want to go back to drinking. Some people just give up altogether. Others yeah. go back to drinking in moderation. There's another one called naltrexone, yes. which is uh, can basically... You just take it an hour before you drink, and you just stop wanting to drink to excess. Now, a lot of people don't want to always end up drunk at the end of the evening, but that's what happens. They want to but go out and have a good time. If you're a Chris, I'm, I'm just interrupting just because we're running out of time, and I find this absolutely fascinating. Yeah. So, so I've got friends who are affected by this. If you are a chronic alcoholic, I have friends who have lost everything through alcoholism. They've yeah. lost their career, they've lost their, their family, yeah. and they say to me, I, ca- I want to stop, but I can't. Well, tell them to get a copy of Help Them Beat the Booze. We'll, read the we'll chapter. Read the, read the but chapter. But those pills aren't going to help them, are they? Pardon? Those, those pills yes, they wouldn't are. help them. They, they are. The, the new methods will can stop somebody who has tried everything and failed. They've tried, the, you know, going to... I've, I've, I've seen people go, go to the Prairie and relapse, etc. Yeah. And then they've completely changed their lives by taking these new methods. The GP does have it within their power to prescribe them. Right, take along a copy of the book with the section to yep. the GP, discuss it with them, and uh, they, are, they have the power to do it. And it can, it, it, they, these things in, in other countries like France and America and Finland are mainstream forms of medication. Yeah. It's just that the government here hasn't got its act together, hasn't got round to giving them the necessary clinical trials. These do work. They have incredible success rates. And uh, they, they, they are the silver bullet that people are looking for. Edmund, and they... I, we have to move on because we're out of time. I find that fascinating. I could talk to you for ages about that. Edmund Tebbett there, author of Help Them Beat the Booze. Um, well, we, we have a difference of opinion there. Uh, Edmund claims that there is a, a, a silver bullet in the, the, the shape of these pills that could uh, help alcoholism. I'm, I'm slightly... I have got friends who are alcoholics and who have lost everything and they want to stop drinking... But they are unable to. They have been unable to until they have gone to groups. I've got a friend who went to the Priory. Uh, I've got uh, friends that are in AA. Uh, and it's, it's changing the mindset in those cases. I don't know. Edmund, lovely to talk to you. Thank you very much. Good morning. It's 7.46. It's Tuesday, the 11th of September. These are your headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. Andy Murray has made tennis history by winning the US Open, his first Grand Slam title. Luton Borough Council will meet to uh, examine why the Love Luton Festival cost £100,000 more than expected. And in sport, well, sort of sport, Stockfold's Olympic champion Victoria Pendleton's revealed she's swapping wheels for waltzes by taking part in this year's Strictly Come Dancing. Your weather across beds, huts and bucks, sunny spells and showers today, feeling fresher than of late with a top temperature of 17 degrees. And coming up after eight, we'll talk more about the BBC One comedy Citizen Calm, which has received mixed reviews from people who claim it's offensive and mocks the Muslim faith. We'll be discussing it with Mustafa Zaman from Milton Keynes, who's part of the UK Sri Lankan Muslim Forum, and Zafar Khan from the Luton Council of Faith. BBC Three Counties Radio. Jonathan Vernon Smith, weekday mornings from nine on BBC Three Counties Radio. You got to love a bit of JVS, isn't it? <laughs> you can have that, Jonathan and his team. If they're up there listening, you can have that as your slogan. I'll, I'll give that to you uh, as a gift. Talking about Citizen Khan, uh, the program last night, which w- no one has called in or no one has got in touch that I've spoken to and said, you know what? Yeah, it was really funny. I, I think the BBC may have a stinker on their hands, but it's a it's a sitcom about a Muslim family. And today I'm asking. Is it ever okay 
to laugh at religion. Well, we sent our reporter, Jenna Benson, out into the three counties to see what you think. Yes, I think it is acceptable, yeah. You know, as long as it's kind of light-hearted, anyone can take offence over anything, really. It just depends how, how it's come across. Yeah, I think so. Why not? Make the world a lot better place, wouldn't it, if everybody smiled? I think it's probably more of a worry that we, we're not allowed to laugh at religion um, in this day and age where atheism is probably, you know, it's most paramount. It's now unfashionable to be an atheist and, 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 and to criticise an atheist is actually more, more common than if you criticise someone for being, you know, a member of religion or something. If you're taking the mickey out of a religion in a malicious way, then that isn't acceptable, but laughter is essential, so you've got to have some sort of leeway. You have to laugh at something. Death, religion. <laughs> I laugh at everything I do. <laughs> Good for you, sir. Good for you. Uh, well, Judy in Luton has, uh, has got in touch. Good morning, Judy. Good morning. Judy, what's your take on this? Um, well, I think it's a, a much to do about nothing, really, because the, the people that are in these shows are actually Muslim people. Um, it's not meant to be offensive. Um, they're mostly about Muslim families, as I mentioned about that film, East, East is East. Yep. And like I said, humility is the ability to laugh at yourself. There's nothing anti-religious about it, n- not in my opinion anyway. Yeah. I just think um, they're just making a, a big deal about it, really. Did you, um, watch, did you watch Citizen Khan? I watched the first episode, but I kept forgetting to watch the others. <laughs> did you enjoy it? Well... No. <laughs> it, wasn't as, no it, it wasn't as funny as I thought it was, but that was because of the humour, not, not because of the um, Islamic um, issue. Cause can you remember Gimme, Gimme, um, Goodness Gracious Me? Goodness Gracious Me, yes, I do remember that, yes. Really, really funny. Yeah, well, and yeah. They were taking the mickey out of themselves. Yeah. Um, the same as what we do, and I think... Um, they're making too much um, about the religious aspect but it's, of but it. Do you remember when um, the, the Monty Python film, Life of Brian, came out in about, yes, I think, yes. 1979? Yes. And uh, it, wasn't it wasn't about Jesus, but everyone no, kind of thought it was. And yes. uh, there, there was a huge furore about that, wasn't there? Do you think people should have just lightened up then? Um, possibly, yes. But I think things were, were different then, and I think... Yeah. People are a bit more touchy, but I think people have developed now um, and um, have got more relaxed about things. And I don't think there's anything against the actual religions that that they're portraying. Okay, uh, Judy, listen, thank you very much for that. Okay, then. There Thank we you. go. 08459 455 555 is the telephone number if you want to give us uh, a call on that. You can text, of course, 81333, starting your text 3CR. be interesting if you are from uh, a, a specific religious faith or, or, or background. Do you get offended? Do you think that, that some things we just shouldn't touch? We just shouldn't make jokes about. Some things are too sacrilegious to be laughed at. It's interesting, isn't it? I'm, I'm not... I'll I, I put my cards on the table. I'm not f- religious. I believe in... Hey, I believe there's a higher power somewhere that's guiding us and, and helping us. But it's, it's not particular uh, religion. Uh, and I find things like Father Ted and uh, Life of Brian very, very funny. Uh, Citizen Khan, I, I didn't find it particularly funny. I didn't find it offensive. Uh, I thought what they were doing cleverly was they were treating Islam in the same way that Christianity has been treated throughout the years uh, on British comedy shows.
I don't know. Oh uh, eight four five nine four double five five double five, or you can text eight one three double three. Start your text three CR. There's an email as well, isn't there? Three CR at bbc.co.uk <laughs> if you want to get in touch. Now we've been talking about alcohol, and we had uh, a guest on earlier who was uh, talking about alcohol and, and parents who may have alcohol problems and how that can affect their children. Roger has called in. Uh, morning, Roger. Oh, no, hang on a second. Let's try this one. Roger, are you there? Uh, yes, good morning. Hello, Roger. I do apologise. I had uh, the, the wrong fader down. What's your story, Roger? Um, well, basically, I, I was seven years old when my stepmother gave me alcohol to drink, and by the time I got to ten, I was a full-blown alcoholic. But because she'd done all the drinking at home, nobody ever saw that she was an alcoholic, and uh, only the children as such, myself, so... Technically, um, <clears throat> the government now trying to address the issue of parents drinking. I think that's a good idea. But again, a lot of parents that drink are on the inside of home and hide it from the rest of the family and friends. I don't know if they'll be able to get through to them. How much did your mother drink at home, Roger? Well, she drank about two bottles of whiskey a day. And when I was seven years old, she was pour me half a glass of whiskey so she never really liked cooking breakfast or dinners and uh, sort of knocked me out when I came home from school and you say you were a full-blown alcoholic by the age of 10 yes because um, I was given a half glass of whiskey in the morning to drink half a glass of whiskey at night time just to uh, knock you out completely yeah, that's right and you uh, became dependent on that uh, and then the teachers found me sneaking bottles of whiskey to school at 10 years old you know, teachers come and say, what are you doing in the desk there? And they open the desk and they find a bottle of Bell's whiskey. So I, I even got sort of uh, expelled from school because of it. And then my stepmother tried to kill me when I was 13, so I just walked to the house and I became homeless for two years. Hang on a minute, so was, was, was this your mother or your stepmother who had stepmother, the alcohol problem? Your stepmother. Yeah, my mother died when I was born. Okay, and your stepmother tried to kill you at the age of 13? That's right, because she was an alcoholic and she got into one of her alcoholic moods. And you left home? Well, I just walked out because I thought, well, somebody's going to get killed and I don't want to be the one to do it. How old are you now, Roger? Me, I'm 50 years old now. And uh, is your stepmother still with us? No, she's passed away. She uh, she drank so much, she suffered from Alzheimer's disease. Mm. And can I ask, Roger, what's your relationship with alcohol now? Well, it's a lot better because I, I went to places like AA, I went to detox, I went into a mental institution, I fought with it, uh, I went abstinence for two years, <clears throat> and then I went back to sensible drinking. So I would say that it hasn't got any control over me like it used to have in the early days. How much do you drink now? Me, I, I just have a social drink. I might have a beer once every two or three days. I might just... Uh, that's it. Or when, when I go out on a social function, I might just yeah. have a drink. So you don't drink first thing in the morning anymore? Or? No, I'm not that uh, inclined to do like I used to. Do you, are you in a relationship, Roger? Do you have kids? Are you married? I was, I was married and I had kids, yes, but because of the drinking, everything broke up. So you, in some ways, were repeating the cycle. You were drinking in front of the kids and, and that split the marriage. No, not necessarily. I didn't actually drink when I got married. It was when my wife left me, I went heavily on the drink. Right. So I wasn't drinking while I was working. I was actually 
putting all my energy into working 12-hour shifts a day. So. Well, Roger, as someone who, who has been an alcoholic, um, I'm guessing you'll understand the, the mental... Um, the battles that go on when you're oh, yeah. trying to stop. We had a, a, an author of a, a book, Edmund Turbot, on earlier on, who said that there are new pills that could help alcoholics. Do you think that would have worked for you? Well, if there was a pill, yes. I mean, I, they make all these genetic pills, and uh, I know they've got them for other things. So if they could make one that would actually take away the craving of the alcohol. But can I just say, Roger, when you, you said that you started drinking again when your wife left you. Yes. So you were looking for something that, I, I'm guessing it wasn't, I'm, if I'm wrong, tell me, I'm guessing it wasn't just a craving, you were looking to numb the pain, perhaps? The, uh, the pills? No, it's, I, I, I think what it was, right, because I'm always been empty after my mother died when I was born, the drink became a substitute because my life was surrounded by drinks. Mm. Whenever my life became empty again, I ended up sneaking back towards the drink. So it was like... Right, uh, so uh, you, the drink, sorry, that somebody spoke in the background. That's okay. And uh, yeah, so um, at the end of the day, it, it was uh, mainly going back because of this emptiness feeling. Yeah, I wouldn't say it was more of a craving at that okay. time. And, and Roger, life's better now, and your 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 life's a bit calmer, and you're a bit more oh, settled. Oh yeah, I became a Christian. I go to church now, and. I'm doing lots of exercise and whatever. Okay, you. I mean, I've got the effects. I've got lots of medical conditions from the drinking. Yeah. What it does, it deteriorates the body over a period of time. And uh, it's left me with about 10 medical conditions. But well, Roger, listen, I'm glad that you've got your life back on track. Yeah. Thank you very much for taking the time to call in. Take care of yourself. Okay, then. Cheers. Thank you very there much. we go. Oh, wait, 459 455 555. Got a text on women vicars. We're, we're covering everything today. We are covering everything. You won't get this anywhere else. Ian, uh, please don't dismiss David's opinion. David um, called in to say that he, he disagreed with women vicars and women uh, bishops. Tradition is good, but so is change. The way the world is at the moment, who knows what is going to be suggested as harmful. Yes, even a mouthful of wine at communion. It's not always wine at communion. My, I took my mum a while ago, and she came out, and I said, did you enjoy that? Uh, it's disappointing. Why? It wasn't wine, it was Ribena. She was furious. David did actually make some good points, i.e. men won't like taking orders from women. Yes, they will. I really think they will, Esther. I've got no problem with taking orders from women. The Bible says man was made first than woman. I think man was a template for the perfect woman who came next. Esther. Men, if you're listening, you don't really have a problem taking orders from women, do you? Come on. Coming up to 8 o'clock, this show is flying by. We've got so much in it. Taking more of your calls as well on any of the things we've talked about. 08459 455 555. Speak to you hopefully after this. The latest news and sport with Catherine Boyle. This is Ian Lee, it's BBC Three Counties Radio, where it's Tuesday, the 11th of September. Oh my goodness. Andy Murray won the US Open. He's the first British man to win a Grand Slam singles tennis title in 76 years. Positivity was one of the things that played a huge part. When has being positive helped you? And also, Citizen Khan, the sitcom about a Muslim family, were you offended or did you find it funny? We'll hear arguments from both sides in this hour, and hopefully your views as well. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. As Murray serves, forehand return from Djokovic. It's out! And Andy Murray 
has won the title. He has won his first Grand Slam. Well, he's finally done it. Andy Murray has become the first British man to win a Grand Slam singles title in 76 years. He beat the defending champion Novak Djokovic at the US Open in a five-set match that lasted almost five hours. But who could have seen it coming? John Brewer is Professor of Sports Science at the University of Bedfordshire. Good morning, John. Good morning. It's a fitting end to... Uh, uh, are you OK? Are you on a train station? <laughs> I'm, uh, yes, I did say to you. I'm at Luton Airport Parkway. Apologies, yeah. Let us know when your train comes and we'll let you go. Uh, it's yeah. a fitting end to a great summer of sport, isn't it? It is. I mean, you said it could only be shit coming. I think this year we could see anything coming. I think it's been a fantastic summer and we've seen some tremendous performances. And I think the one thing that Andy Murray's performance has shown is that in, in sport, as in life, um, you have to work very hard for success. Mm. And it doesn't come easily. And he's got plenty of talent. But over the years, he's had to fight adversity. He's had to fight injury. He's had to fight, of course, plenty of defeats in Grand Slams, but with hard work and determination. And I think perhaps inspired by everybody else this summer and by his, um, by his Wimbledon performance as well, we've, we've seen him finally come good in the US. He did walk on looking like a winner, didn't he, yesterday? He did did, indeed, did yes. the positivity help? Oh, it does indeed. I think, you know, you can have all that, all that physical ability, but your mental approach is absolutely critical, and uh, he clearly got that right and, and got the result that the whole public wanted, which is fantastic. Do you see Andy Murray going on to win several more Grand Slam titles now? Is it, now that he's broken this, do you think he can carry on winning? Well, we know he struggles on clay, so I think that's always going to be an issue, and I think people like Nadal and Federer will always be, be king, and Djokovic as well, on clay courts, but clearly Wimbledon is a nemesis that he wants to get off his back as well, and mm. the grass is more suited to his style of play, so let's hope that he does, uh, he does come good and, and win, win Wimbledon. And what is this going to do for British tennis? It, it's things like this that really give sports a kick up the backside, don't they? Yeah, they do. I mean, there's a good friend of mine, Roger Draper, who is the chief executive of the Lawn Tennis Association, and I'm sure he's gone into work today with a huge smile on his face because, um, you know, he's seen the success of Wimbledon and he's seen the success uh, of the Olympics, and this will be a real boost on the back of the Olympic Games to get more people involved at grassroots level and hopefully develop a performance pathway that will see more players coming good. And we've seen some great performances by the women in the US Open as well, let's mm. not forget, with Laura Robson and so on doing very well and showing that we do have talent and we do have some great coaches, which is clearly important. And I think the successes of Andy Murray with, with uh, the, the Olympic final and the US Open will really now take, take tennis to the next level. John, go and get your train. Thank you very much for giving us your time. John Brewer, Professor of Sports Science at the University of Bedfordshire. Now, Citizen Khan was on last night. Did you watch it? It's a BBC sitcom based on a Muslim family. I was up at four o'clock this morning watching it. That's how dedicated I am uh, to, to researching my stories. When it comes to breaking stereotypes of the Muslim faith, do programmes like Citizen Khan promote a positive image of Muslims? Have a listen to this. This is a clip from the show. All right, all right. Keep your head on. Hello, Dave. She's gone, Mr Khan. What? Nanny John, I've lost her. What do you mean you've lost her? How can you lose an 80-year-old Pakistani woman? I got confused. There are too many of them. Careful, Dave. That sounds a bit racist. <laughs> I just meant they all look the same. That's better. <laughs> well, joining me in the studio now is Mustafa Zaman from Milton Keynes, who's part of the UK Sri Lankan Muslim Forum, and Zafar Khan from Luton Council of Faith. Thank you very much for coming in, uh, chaps. Lovely <clears> to hear. <throat> Zafar, you think that programmes like this are good at breaking down cultural barriers, don't you? I think so. I mean, I, I don't don't see um, any harm in programs like this. I mean, Citizen Khan is a bit predictable. Um, the uh, sort of uh, comedy is uh, a little bit uh, predictable, but uh, you need to be a little bit more sort of discerning to actually appreciate what <laughs> message mm. uh, Mr. Khan or the character is trying to convey and, and so on. Um, 
But, but I, I mean, I, I think programs like this are uh, are necessary, and Muslims, if you like, are part and parcel of contemporary British society. And um, uh, humor is also part of life, mm. um, and uh, humor, if it is. Uh, depicted uh, in a manner which is reasonable, um, then I mean that that's okay. Um, but this particular program after ten thirty, um, it's not very accessible to a, a mass of people. Mm-hmm. Um, um, maybe maybe it's pilot. It's mm. first time something like this has come up since nine eleven. And it's poignant that we are speaking about it well, on a day. anniversary today. Of yeah. course. Mustafa, you disagree. You think that this program was offensive. <coughs> Excuse me. Thank you for this time. Um, well, the program is offensive given the current situation right. prevailing, especially all over the world. Um, against Muslims and Islam. Mm. Muslims and Islam are portrayed as negative in every single media. Um, A study shows 91% of the media is portraying Muslims in a negative uh, way. So at this time, it's really offensive to show such things like, uh, you know, Khan is saying a ginger Muslim. There's no ginger Muslim in, in Islamic faith. Every Muslim is a Muslim. So that uh, and then he he kept on saying when what's his name Dave said salam to him he says salam alaikum and a Muslim a normal Muslim would say alaikum salam and he says hello Dave so it's a bit of um, a a disgrace and also he kept on mocking about the name Muhammad he says you're Muhammad you're Muhammad you're Muhammad so. That's not wrong because Muhammad is the name of Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and that people people have their name to respect him. Mm. So it, these parts and also about the Umrah package he gives and and then he's taking you know he's mocking. You can have a laugh and joke. Yes, of course we have to have laugh and jokes about about things. And and this program they can do it in this country. We have you've got human rights. We've got right of expression. Mm. That's fine. But some of the things hurts. Mm. It's not. Had it been done in an Asian perspective, it's different, but it's not particularly in Islamic perspective. And also, you see uh, Pakistan, you Pakistani, Pakistani flag, Pakistani flag, yes. b- Pakistani flag there behind every yes. single scene. So it's it's portraying a particular. It's 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 showing a particular group yes. and a particular religion. But at this time, in, at this moment in time, yeah. it's really hostile. The media and the world is against Islam and Muslims. I don't think the whole media is against. Islam and Muslims. Uh, if, if I'm not. I, I represent a tiny, tiny percentage of, of the If media, you see the BBC as a whole. Really? Yes. Where? If, if you see the history... Um, Let's do that now, though. Let's the history. Where is BBC against Muslims now? N- not today. Not today? N- not today. Okay. But it doesn't show a, uh, a what do you call it, a, uh, a positive um, image of Muslims. See, see, a lot of people disagree. Hard. A lot of people disagree and say that the BBC shows too positive an image of, of, of Islam. I've heard that criticism. Zafar, you, you heard Mustafa there. What, what do you make of his claims? I, I can relate to the sentiments that yeah? Mustafa is uh, articulating, but I, I think let's look at the broad picture. Um, while uh, we could pick, uh, you know, many, many faults with this particular program. And it wasn't funny, is, is the basic fault yeah, that you're, yeah, you're pointing and, and out. And also, yes. also uh, you know, one could take issue with how the faith was, if you like, uh, <clears throat> or is is portrayed. But um, I, I, I think... Uh, in a society, you, uh, as with anything else, you uh, you learn things, mm. and I'm sure um, uh, if BBC took a straw poll of its viewers, Muslim viewers, none, 
Muslim viewers, uh, perhaps they would find a, a mix. A mix kind there has of been a mix. A few people yeah. have been uh, very offended and yeah. have been very vocal about it. Yeah, and offense. others don't necessarily worry too yeah. much about it. And still, others may find it reasonably okay. And, you know, it's, it's always a, a social, social development is also mm. an evolutionary process. Uh, and let's face it, we need to uh, we need to uh, actually appreciate each other. Mm. But uh, I think I, I do take the point that uh, certain uh, sort of, if you like, messages do in reinforce uh, yeah. uh, a stereotypical view of uh, Islam or Muslims. And in this particular case, this character appears to be a Pakistani Muslim or a mm. Pakistani origin Muslim who doesn't talk too much about Pakistan except when it comes to cricket. Yes. Uh, rather than other things about his holidays, he's, he's, he's referring to Bradford is referring to Oldham. Uh, and but don't forget yeah, the Pakistani yeah. flag is everywhere. You can see yeah, Pakistan flag on his, yeah. but it. It, it, it impliedly shows the yeah. Pakistani thing. And also some some viewers think all the actors there are Muslims. No. Adil Ray is, I think, I think, I think Adil Ray is only Muslim apart from the, apart from the people in the masjid. that should not be a problem. But that's I mean, not a problem. But they, actors portray anybody. That's fine. Yeah, but that. people think yeah. all, everyone's Muslim. So they're not offended. Why are you offended? Mm-hmm. I'm not saying, uh, I'm saying we're offended some certain, we're offended offended by, by some certain clips of this mm. and also you can do these programs no problem because as I said you have uh, the expre- uh, expression um, freedom of expression mm. but it hurts some people mm. so, so the BBC and that or, has to or, be respected if people uh, are being absolutely. offended of course it does R- but uh, sometimes they, they take this parallel to the, the, the Christianity sitcoms mm. but that's different Christianity has no enmity at, at, this, at this moment in time but Islam has say for example very recent news Paul Smith do we know how Paul, who Paul Smith is? He was given an ASBO for uh, over bomb-making hobby. They say he had bomb-making materials in this country. Mm. He was caught and... And he was um, he was given just asbos okay. because he had a hobby. I don't but know about had, that story, so I don't had, want to go too far down no, that, just in case. Had it been a Muslim, yes. it would have been all over the media, twenty four seven. So this is the problem we have at the moment, but and we have Christians more pressing issues yes. than citizen Khan to be addressed in of media. We, we have more pressing issues than citizen Khan to be addressed in Very the quickly, media. So running about, out of time, about, some, about Christians, some Christians would say that <laughs> all a, a lot of other faiths, faiths, including Sikhism and, and Islam, that they are protected, and a lot of Christians feel. That uh, that Christianity is the only thing that can be jokes can be made about. Do you not think that that's no? no Islam is not. Uh, no, no, it cannot no, be made not, about. Yeah. No, it's not. It, it no, cannot be made. Christians should stand up to their religion okay. and to talk about it. They should say it's it's not on. You cannot make a mockery out of religion. And and then sacrilege religion is bad. You cannot you cannot offend someone by their religious faith. Mm. Gentlemen, listen, I could talk to you for ages. We've run out of time. Thank you so much for coming in. Thank you Really much. interesting to uh, hear your opinions. Uh, Mustafa Zaman uh, from Milton Keynes, who's part of the UK's Sri Lankan Muslim Forum, and Zafar Khan from Luton Council. Opinions are mine. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming in. Many Jack. thanks. F- absolutely fascinating. Well, you heard that. What did you make of that? Do you agree or disagree? 08459 555. Thank you very much, Sophie. It's uh, 16 minutes past eight on Tuesday, the 11th of September. These are your headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. Andy Murray has become the first British man to win a Grand Slam singles tennis title in 76 years, winning the US Open. The reasons why the Love Luton Festival cost £100,000 more than expected will be discussed at a full meeting of the Borough Council tonight. In sport, either Gary Cahill or Phil Jagielka will replace an injured John Terry for tonight's World Cup qualifier against Ukraine. We'll have a full weather bulletin in a moment with Dan Holly. And coming up, the Love Luton made a loss of £400,000 tonight. 
meeting is being held to discuss what happened. Shortly we'll speak to uh, Martin Pantling, Lib Dem councillor in Luton, to get his views on Love Luton. BBC Three Counties Radio. Oh, dearie, dearie me. Uh, Jonathan Vernon-Smith is on at nine o'clock. Mm. And it's and it's uh, it's going to be a good show today. Oh, can you I, feel I it? I can feel it in the air. When you walked in, there was just something about you. There's an electricity Ooh. that you emanate. And I, I'm talking nonsense. It, it, it'll it'll be all right. <laughs> it'll be all right. At the, even no no. This is a compliment. Even at your worst, your shows are all right. <laughs> at your best, at your best, they're quite good. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> it did come out the way it sounded in my head. It was lovely. It was Thank very you. nice. You're looking very smart. Why are you all dressed up? I'm having my photo taken today for the website <laughs> so that people will be able to look at me online and go, oh, it's him. <laughs> we didn't know we were listening to him. Have they, uh, have they brought in a professional photographer? No, it's Jan. <laughs> <laughs> it's the lady upstairs. <laughs> She's going to do it on her phone. <laughs> What? Oh, it's a joy. Working at the BBC is such a joy. She said she could do a good one. Yes, show business, ladies and gentlemen. This is where it's at. Coming up on the big phone in this morning at nine, actually talking of show business, is Boris Johnson the leader that Britain needs? Did you see his speech yesterday? No, I've heard about it. I'm going to look it up online afterwards. It was well worth watching, actually. The the London Mayor, Boris Johnson, put in a show-stealing performance yesterday as he delighted crowds with his speech at the closing parade for the Olympics and the Paralympics. His words outshone the speech given moments earlier by the Prime Minister, David Cameron, whose leadership has been called into question in recent days. David Cameron kind of stood there clapping and and laughing. And you know when you can see on someone's face, they're thinking, oh, his speech is so much better than mine was. Yes, yes. It was hilarious really his speech yesterday it was absolutely hilarious uh, some conservative mps also seem frustrated with the current leadership uh, Nadine Dorries, the MP for Mid-Beds, is quoted as saying, we need to get Boris in and David out to survive 2015. He's not a, pr- he's not a Prime Minister, though, You don't he? think so? No, he's just too much of a fool. He's a clown. We couldn't... He couldn't run the... Co- I'm sure he could run the country, but just think how other countries around the world would think of us. Do you think we'd be a laughing stock? Of course we would. Well, this is exactly the debate I want oh. us to have from nine this morning. I want to know, is Boris Johnson the leader that Britain needs perhaps you too think he'd be a bit of a joke he'd make us a laughing stock he's just not statesman-like enough or would he be a breath of fresh air is he exactly the kind of leader we need at the moment in these tough dark times <laughs> oh I- <laughs> He was he was punching the air with a clenched fist there did he, he means it he means it sorry i interrupt you carry on <laughs> yeah, call 08459 455 555 from 9 o'clock. It'll be Jonathan Vernon Smith oh. asking, is Boris Johnson the leader this nation needs <laughs> in these tough economic times? Lovely <laughs> 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 to see you. No, no, oh, you're listening at nine, to Enjoy talk. your photo shoot. Yeah, so t- take your headphones off. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. It really is worth a listen. <laughs> Thank you very much. Now, the £400,000 loss made at the Love Luton Festival is being discussed tonight at a full council meeting. The four-day festival coincided with the Olympic torch relay. So why did this happen? Well, I'm joined now by Martin Pantling, Lib Dem councillor in Luton. Morning, Martin. Good morning, Ian. Uh, You're going to be at the meeting tonight. I am indeed. 
What are you going to ask? Are you, you're allowed to... What are the rules here? Are you allowed to ask just one question? Oh, well, well, council meetings are all very procedural, and you can only have about one ca- question per councillor. It's all the, all the usual boring routine stuff. But the whole public want to know just how much... how this debacle was allowed to come about, really. It has. We've been following it here, and I know that some members of, uh, of the, the team are a little bit upset with us here at BBC mm. Three Counties. I don't quite know why. Uh, but it, it, it's just... It seemed like it was going to be a car crash from quite early on, and no one put the brakes on. Well, a lot of people felt that. I mean, particularly from the initial prices of £32.50 a ticket, £30 a ticket for concerts, way too much for Luton salaries. We tried to tell them that. A lot of people tried to tell them that. They didn't listen until three weeks before when they slashed the price to £15, and it was just far too late. So how far in advance were you saying... That's too expensive. This could be a problem. Well, we were asking questions about ticket sales at the time of the budget in February. Right. Um, wow. And at that time, they didn't. They wouldn't say how many ticket sales had been uh, made. We were asking the uh, finance portfolio holder. He was telling us there's no money in this year's budget to account for this loss. Well, quite rightly, they didn't actually um, put a line in the budget. They weren't anticipating the loss. They said it was going to make some money. Yeah. Uh, it did no such thing. And of course, it's, we we see the result. It's a four hundred thousand pound loss. And when you were questioning things, yeah, what did they say? Oh, they just said it was going to be a lovely, lovely weekend, which I think, I think many people did have a good time. A lot of time. people enjoyed it. A lot of people enjoyed it. There were a lot of good bands, BBC introducing when they are doing their things, yep. introducing some, some good acts. But the whole question about the professionalism of the organising of the event, mm. whether it is targeted right to have two concerts, broadly similar in nature and yep. broadly similar in audience, two, two consecutive nights, at that kind of ticket price, it was just never going to sell. That was the thing that, that, that got me, was the ticket price and the fact it was, it was asking for the same audience. Surely you wanted, if you're going to do that, you wanted two completely diverse audiences to attract. I think that's right, and particularly when for the first time you're doing a major festival in Luton where we're doing pop concerts. I mean, looking at this report going tonight, you know, this a statement of the obvious venue destination. Luton has no track record for promoting international headline acts. It's likely to have been a factor in ticket sales. Mm. That's one of the lines. Now, it doesn't need Einstein to tell you that. We could have told them that a very long time ago, and a lot of Luton residents could have told them that a long time ago. Um, but they weren't in a, in a mood to listen, and they're still not, because apparently they're still wanting to do something very similar next year. A lot of people would say, though, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. We had a fantastic weekend. The Mellor was superb. The, the Absolutely. festival was superb. The torch relay, having Lewis Hamilton come to Luton. The, the whole weekend, it may have cost a lot of money, but in some respects it was successful because it helped draw attention to Luton and give it a, a, a positive image. Well, I think anything that can give Luton a, a positive image is a good thing. It's just whether really residents should be shelling out the best part £400,000 in order to do that. Mm. And in fact, the, in excusing the event for having made a loss rather than offsetting the cost of the festival and the Miller, um, in, in excusing that, they're, saying, they're talking a lot about the publicity value and what it might be worth. Um, but candidly, having a well-organised, well-attended festival would have done Luton a lot more uh, good than this, this big loss at a time when the councillors themselves are cutting services and the council has no record in organising concerts. What, you're allowed one question. Are you allowed to tell us what your question is or is it top secret? Uh, no, I'm keeping that secret really? for now. Yes. Oh. <laughs> just, just stand up. Why? Why? <laughs> and in fact, I think the public themselves will have their own questions and I think really it would are be good. Are the public allowed to ask they questions are. at this? They are. Well, okay. They're not allowed to ask questions but they're allowed to attend. It's a public meeting okay. at six o'clock tonight, Luton Town Hall. Right. If the people who have been most silent in all of this, having been the face of it before the event, have been the, the Labour leadership. The leader of the council is virtually in hiding. The finance portfolio holder is virtually in hiding. They don't really want to answer the questions. They're sticking up the council office and radio studios like this mm. and act candidly having wanted to 
um, associate themselves very strongly with the Love Luton brand, and we all love Luton, mm. they now couldn't, couldn't be seen to be trying to distance themselves more from this failure. And but everyone's going to be there tonight. Um, all the councillors, all the groups will be there tonight, right. um, and the public are invited. And people can come along and, and turn up, but they're not allowed to ask any questions. That'd be frustrating. That, that's right, but I feel sure that they'll find ways of making their views felt. <laughs> what would you have done differently? How would you have, 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 have made this more successful? I think the obvious thing to have done would have been to have found a professional agency to handle the whole event. Someone who's experienced in handling events. We have a number of major uh, concert halls, a number of major uh, venues uh, around the area in the three counties. Uh, your listeners will know many of them. For Luton Council to say let's stick it in the middle of Pope's Meadow. Um, it may or may not be waterlogged. We've never put anything there before. With all the problems that we had with the stage sliding after the, um, the pop concerts and then nearly not being able to host a mm. torch event itself. Because that was threatened because Locog nearly pulled out the actual torch event itself um, because of the stage sliding from the pop concerts. Um, To have not had that experience or known what to do was always going to be a risk. And then to not put anything in the budget for it and say, oh, we think it's going to be a wonderful event, and then turn around and say, oh, it's all the media's fault for asking these questions, Mm. I don't think it's tenable. Martin, listen, uh, no doubt we'll probably try and speak to you tomorrow if that's okay, and we'll find out what your mystery question was this <laughs> evening. I'm Feel free. It better be a good one now. You've built it up like this. Well, I, th- I think the, the point is that there were so many questions that a lot of councillors will want to be asking. Yeah. Okay, Martin Pantling, Lib Dem Councillor in Luton, thank you very much for coming in. Thank you. Uh, that meeting is a public meeting. You can go tonight. If you do go, give us a call tomorrow uh, uh, and let us know if you were satisfied with the answers uh, that you got. Uh, from that. 08459 455 555 is the telephone number. Another 30 minutes of the show, we're still asking, is it ever acceptable to uh, laugh at religion? And when have you been positive and how has it helped you? We got a text, we had some guests in um, debating whether Citizen Khan was disrespectful to the Muslim faith and Daz has texted in, if the media are so against Islam, how comes 9-11 the Twins Tower attack is hardly mentioned today? It is 11 years today and Citizen Khan is a positive show. It is uh, 11 years today and we did mention it briefly in that interview and we were going to touch on it a bit more but the, the thing when you've got guests in is the debate can go off in all kinds of meandering ways and it's wonderful and that's why I have, have, love having people live in the studio talk more about that we've got more of your texts and your emails and your phone calls after the latest news with Catherine on FM AM and online BBC Three Counties Radio been a busy morning this morning, another 30 minutes of the show. Uh, Andy Murray won the US Open, first British man to win a Grand Slam singles tennis title in 76 years. Walked onto the court looking like a winner. When it's being positive, helped you. And also Citizen Khan was on last night. It's a BBC sitcom about a Muslim family. And today we are asking, is it ever OK to laugh at religion? You can still get in touch with us, uh, 81333, start your text 3CR. Or you can give us a call, 08459 555. Now, speaking about laughing at religion is Dill in Bedford. Good morning, Dill. Good morning, Ian. Dill, what's your take on this? Is it ever OK to laugh at religion? Well, it's not, no, it's not okay to laugh at religion, but it's, it's fine when you get a little bit of a light humour. Um, there's a difference in, in complete racism. There, there's a fine line between humour and then it being racist, complete racism. Mm. I mean, I'm a practising Sikh, uh, and I wear a turban, and I go out like everyone else does. I live in the UK, I was born and bred in the UK. Um, but I could walk down the street and people could call me names and people have called me names, you know, beyond belief, you know, and they automatically associate my, myself um, just with the fact that I wear a turban and the fact that Bin Laden wore a similar turban, um, that 
we're we're related in some kind or you know we're one of the same kind but that's not the case um so to be fair my opinion is i i i put it down to ignorance and lack of knowledge well then in that case do programs like citizen khan help in any way because a lot of the fear and a lot of the violence and the anger comes from um it comes from ignorance like you said and it comes from fear and if we shows like citizen khan if they portray muslims as in inverted commas normal people you know in in normal environments that we can all understand that that's got to help hasn't it yeah of course it does i mean in in we live in in, in this society, we live in the UK, and that's the way Muslims are in the UK. You know, they have a laugh and a joke, and the way the way that the program portrays it is is. I mean, I've got Muslim friends, and that's what they're like. I mean, that's, they are they are like that. Some of them are really um, strict, and some of them are really laughing and joking, that kind of thing. And between, I mean, myself and my friend, we all have a laugh. Mm. Um, so yeah, I think for for the sake of religion, it is a good way. I mean, it's just like you have, um, you know, the, the episode of. Um, only fools and horses that I, I, I've seen and I've watched that have um, light humour regarding Sikhs in them. Mm. You know, um, so yeah, I, I definitely think it's good. I think it's a good thing that they they've made such a programme. To be fair, I think this opens up eyes. Still, very quick, very quickly, you said you you know people shout stuff at you in the street. That doesn't still happen yeah. now in 2012, does it? Um, you'd be surprised. Really? Um, yeah, oh, really. Man. I mean, I, I, <laughs> I know. I was born and bred in Bedford, but um, I've worked uh, quite a few years in London. I actually work in Milton Keynes at the moment. But um, when I was on and off the tubes in London, I mean, people you would call me all sorts of different names from behind. And um, I know it's sad, very, very sad, especially in this day and age when you would think that pe- with all that actually happens yeah. in the world, you would think that people know the difference now between religions and the way people look and you know it's not all done by skin colour it's and not it all is, done by the fact it is the 11th anniversary of, of 9-11 you, you, you're saying is. that it got, it, it got worse after that did it Oh yeah, definitely. Man. Definitely got a lot worse after that. Um, I mean, I was, I was. Um, I mean, I'm quite young to be fair. I'm only, I'm in 24. But all right, don't I, show I, off I, about it. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, I used to get bullied in school as a fan. I've got a brother, and he he decided to cut his hair. I mean, he we're practicing Sikhs. Yeah. Um, whereas I decided to keep my hair and keep my turban. He decided to cut it because, like me, he was also bullied in school, but he took it differently, and my thoughts on it were cl- completely different. Um, and I've still got a turban, and I'm proud. I'm a, I'm a proud seat. We've got to move on. Listen, thank you very much for calling. I'm, I'm genuine. I'm so naive. I'm genuinely shocked that in 2012, a seat guy gets, you know, abuse getting off a train. I'm, I'm so naive. I really thought that things were better than that. I'm sure things are better than they were, in, you know, 40 years ago, but... <clears throat> dear. Paul is in Bletchley. Morning, Paul. Morning, Ian. Can we I, have a laugh at religion? I think so. I had, I had a wonderful um, uncle, Leonard, who's now departed his life, unfortunately, but he was a Church of England vicar, and he, one of his jokes was, uh, God so loved the world, he didn't send a committee. So, you know, and he, he had quite a few little religious jokes like that, which were very funny, and uh, I well, think we, we should, because... I wouldn't open with it, but yes, go on. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But, yeah, definitely. I mean, if you know, religion's got to stand on its own two feet, you know, and, and so to speak. And, and, you know, if you can't just have a little joke and a laugh about something, then there's something seriously wrong. There's so. an interesting point you make there. Surely if, if a religion is strong enough, or if a, a person's faith is strong enough, then they can withstand anything, can't they? I think, absolutely, I think you're right. 
yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, I, unfortunately, I did have probably a little bit too much religion as a child. Yep. Sometimes the sermons would uh, go on rather a long, long time. You know, you go way past half an hour and you start be fidgeting and <laughs> so forth. But I, I popped. A, I'm not. I'm not a Christian at all. But I, every, every now and then, if I'm a bit bored on a Sunday morning and there's nothing to do, I pop to church because I like the tradition of it. I like yeah. the songs. Yeah. I like the atmosphere. I like meeting nosy old women. Yeah. But, um, but you're right. They, they do go on a bit long don't they those yeah. sermons i think the, the thing was in country areas years ago um you know where, where communities were a bit remote everybody used to turn up at church and if somebody didn't then they, you'd say oh let's go and look and see how mrs smith's getting on you know she hasn't come yeah. today uh, and it provided a bit of community absolutely and as you say the singing i think is wonderful i enjoy all that paul listen we've got to move on but thank you i do I, every now and then don't do it very often i got married in the church uh, I got married in the church, and we had a lady vicar. David, the caller from earlier, wouldn't approve of that. Um, and we had to... Uh, it was sort of out of our area, so we had to go to the church a, a few times, and we had to have a meeting with the vicar. And she said, why is it... And neither of my wife and I are particularly religious. Uh, but why, why is it so important for you to get married in a church? We said, oh, it's a really nice building. We like the tradition. And we think it's important to get married in the eyes of God. We got that in. But they were going to church. I, I enjoy it. They do go on a little bit. Do go on a little bit. Andy Murray has become the first British man to win a Grand Slam singles title in 76 years. He beat the defending champion Novak Djokovic at the US Open in a five-set match that lasted just under five hours. Something like four hours and 52 minutes or something. Some say it's down to his positivity. Positivity. He walked on the court with his head held high, already looking like a winner. When has being positive helped you? Joe Letchworth called me earlier on. He said his positivity helped cure his cancer. I had a big old lump on my kidney, big kidney cancer. Ooh. So in January, I had that removed. Yeah. Okay, and I was in the hospital, I was lying in the bed, I had pipes and things coming out of me, and do you know what, mate? I was, this I said, you know, I was crying when I went down for my surgery, and as soon as I, I come back from theatre, I was, you know, I really, I did not want to be in that hospital, I just yeah. wanted to get better. And I was out in three days, and again, that was all down just, just, being positive. Hang on a minute, now, hang on a minute. You, you were out in three days after having the tumour removed from your kidney? No, having a kidney and the kidney removed And you had the whole well. kidney taken out. Right, you're out, you're out in three days. That's incredible, Joe. Yeah, but again, it's friends, family, being positive and just working hard at it, mate. You only get one shot in life, mate. So you and Joe, you're, you're all clear now. You're, you're all good. Um, actually, yes, I am. I was. Um, I, I visited your lovely studios yesterday, and I had it all clear from the doctor. No sign of metastatic disease, so I have Joe. officially beaten cancer. I hate the sound of my voice. In my head, I sound really posh. And it turns out I'm not. I'm dead common. Oh, dear. Well, our reporter, Jenna Benson, has been out finding when positivity has helped you. I tend to have a positive outlook the majority of the time anyway. I don't, uh, it's, it's, it, I, don't, I don't think bad thoughts. If you think positive, normally positive outcomes. But if, you, if you're down in the dumps and think, you know, the world's on your shoulders and you're not going to get nowhere, you're not going to get nowhere, are you? Sometimes we do jobs we don't particularly like, but we do them because... Somewhere down the line, it, it may lead to a better job. You can only do two things. You can either sit around and moan, or you can get up and do something. And I think it's very easy to get down in a, because of the current climate, but once I had that positive attitude, um, good things started coming my way. There we go. Uh, we've got some of your texts and your emails and all the things we've been talking about. Here's a tweet. Uh, is it ever funny to laugh at, at uh, religion? Simon, it is not possible to laugh at Citizen Khan. The show just isn't funny. 
Uh, I, I did watch it. I watched a couple of episodes. It, it made me chuckle a bit, but I thought it was a very traditional BBC comedy in the style of The Vicar of Dibley and Keeping Up Appearances. It was basically Keeping Up Appearances with a Pakistani family, wasn't it? Pretty much. Uh, and I don't find those traditional BBC comedies that funny. I don't think they're aimed at me. Like, my family ran for 12 years and got millions of viewers, and I would dip in every now and then and just be sat there scratching my head going, Huh? Where's the funny? Um, and Wayne uh, on uh, the text says, Citizen Calm was funny in parts. I did enjoy it. Um, another text, uh, anonymous. I am Muslim and everyone is entitled to their opinion. Regarding Citizen Calm, there are bits of the show I feel they shouldn't do. The Quran is the most respected thing to a Muslim and anyone seen to disrespect it is offensive as seen in episode one. So I think, were they disrespectful to the Quran in episode one? Uh, the show overall isn't funny, but there's nothing wrong with taking a laugh at culture, just not at what someone might respect a lot. Um, we're talking about women bishops as well, and this, this uh, makes a good point. Put your name... Listen, if you're texting or emailing in, put your names in, please. I want to know who you are. This is a good point. I wish I'd been clever and quick enough to make this. We're talking about should women uh, be allowed to be bishops? Should they be allowed to be bishops? I know it's incredible, isn't it? But that's, that's it. Uh, a lot of you disagree, and uh, David was a caller, I think um, his name was, who, who, who disagrees and thinks it's a terrible, terrible idea. Jesus had 12 apostles because of the 12 tribes of Israel, all of which had a male leader. The time he lived in was a male-dominated society. Women should be priests, as Jesus clearly had a major role for Mary Magdalene, which men wiped out. And this is the point that I think is, is a cracker. We also have the Queen as the supreme head of the Church of England. She's accepted. Why not a woman bishop? Boom! That's it, isn't it? That's the argument over. The Queen's the head. Um, it kind of does... I, I am surprised. And I'm surprised as well that there are so many people out there who um, would be offended if uh, women were allowed to become bishops. David said that if a woman bishop had ordained a male priest, male vicar, that he, he wouldn't be... I, I may be slightly misquoting him here. If I am, David, I apologise. But he wouldn't be pure. It's odd, isn't it? I'm really surprised by this. I'm genuinely surprised uh, by this. And, and religion does surprise me a lot in its, its, its possibly its old-fashioned views. Uh, but I'm always keen to hear your views uh, and always keen to be educated on what you think. 08459 455 555. Jack, we've just stepped. Oh, I do apologise. This is what we want. <laughs> Good morning, dear listener. It's 8.45. It's Tuesday, the 11th of September. These are your headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. The Love Luton Festival cost £100,000 more than expected. The Borough Council's meeting tonight to ask why. Police suspect a fire at the listed Dimsdale house in Hartford over the weekend may have been started deliberately. In sport, Andy Murray's made tennis history by winning the US Open, his first Grand Slam title. Your weather across beds, hearts and bucks, sunny spells and showers today, feeling fresher than of late with a top temperature of 17 degrees. Coming up, a new Monopoly board is being created which celebrates Alan Turing's life. We'll find out more in a moment. BBC Three Counties Radio. This week, we heard the new Tory chairman, Grant Shapps' Wikipedia page, had been changed. It kind of rewritten sort of his exam results and his career history and stuff like that. He denied it was him. Now, I had this. Wikipedia is the home of the made-up fact. Uh, there's a Wikipedia page about me. And the thing about Wikipedia is, the great thing about Wikipedia is, anyone can go on there and add information. The bad thing about Wikipedia is... Anyone can go on there and add information. For years, 
I was a gay cowboy. I know. I've never ridden a horse in my life. Uh, and I would go... There, there are loads of things on there that are wrong about me. And the, the radio show I used to do, um, people would, would kind of go on there as, as sport and, and, and change things and, and, and try and make it as more bizarre as possible on this page. And I got banned from correcting my Wikipedia page. I did it so many times that the people behind the website thought that they would see my computer and uh, they, would, they thought that I was vandalising the page. I got blocked from changing my own Wikipedia page and putting facts on there. There are still a few lies on there. I'm not going to say what they are, but I know if I ever go for a job interview or a meeting or an interview for the press or something, I know if they've just done a Wikipedia search 30 seconds before I come in because they say, oh, so you're in a Kiss tribute band. No. No, I'm not. On Twitter, there's an account called at Library Hatfield, but it's not run by Hertfordshire County Council, who manage the library. They're so upset with the tweets that they've contacted Twitter to have the hoaxer's account closed. The recent tweets include, In the Middle East, they cut off your hand if you steal. We should do the same thing for late book returns. It's worse than stealing. And another tweet on this fake uh, Twitter account is, We've got a film crew in the library this morning. Due to budget cuts, we're now renting out the back room to an adult film company. Well, Chris Hayward is Cabinet Member for Libraries and joins me now. Morning, Chris. Good morning, Ian. Bit of harmless fun? Uh, no, I think it's an uh, abuse, actually, of the proper use and responsible use of social media. It, what, what harm is it causing? Well, for a start, it is misrepresenting um, a county council-run service. This is not a county council website. Hatfield Library is one of our libraries across the county. Um, but we have our own Twitter account for libraries, which is at Hearts Libraries. Um, and we have our own Hearts County Council uh, Twitter account, which has over 5,000 followers. This is a spoof account made up by somebody with some pretty inappropriate, in fact, verging sometimes on the obscene remarks on it, purporting to be representing Hatfield Library, which it is not. And we have obviously complained to Twitter. We've complained twice now. Um, and we want something done about it. Now, how many... So what's your official Twitter feed for the library? Let's give that out. OK, the official Twitter feed is at Hearts Libraries. OK, and that's got over 5,000 followers. No, the, the site, or the Twitter account, which has over 5,000 followers, is the at Hearts CC, which is the main county council Twitter site, which we use for communicating loads of information to residents across the county to do with, you know, roadworks, all sorts of things that, that, that residents will be interested in. But the library's Twitter account is specifically for... Okay. Information relating to our libraries. I, I'm looking at this at Library Hatfield now. It's only got 53 followers. Yeah, it, and, and, and and some of the stuff I'm I'm looking at it. Some of the stuff is a little bit mucky, but it's not. It's not terribly offensive. Is well, it? Is uh, or is it? I, I, I think that's a, that's a matter of personal opinion. Of I mean, I, I, I obviously read some of them and I found them uh, personally offensive. But but what concerns me most is, is that it is a misrepresentation, right. a blatant misrepresentation of an official uh, county council service. Um, and I think you know when social media is used responsibly, it's a tremendous asset to people. But when you get abuses like this, um, you know it really is offensive to people, and we want it stopped. Now, I, listen, I have had fake accounts uh, uh, about me set up on Twitter. Sure. And they were really offensive. I mean, they were, were sexually aggressive and, mm -hmm. and very, very vulgar. Um, do you not think that maybe in this day and age we sort of just have to accept it, Chris? 
Well, um, no, I really don't. I mean, I think there is always a balance to be struck by, between freedom of speech, obviously, which is uh, very important to preserve, but, 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 but also in misrepresentation. People cannot have, I mean, it's not fair on individuals to be misrepresented to society. Um, you know, you can't, there are laws of libel and slander in place. You can't just go around saying things which are blatantly untrue. And unless some of us stand up and challenge this sort of uh, behavior, then it will continue. I mean, the good news in this, in this instance is there's been no data breach and there's been no library, library users' details published. So it's not as if anybody can get access to our... No. To our, to our and our, that's our, unlikely reason. to happen as a result of this, isn't uh, it? Absolutely, it is, it is unlikely. And, yeah, and there will be some people who say that, you know, imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. But I think we could do without this particular form of imitation. What has, uh, finally, uh, Chris, what has, has Twitter said? You've got in touch with them. I, I've, I've struggled to get anything out of Twitter in the past. Have they said anything? Well, us too. No, we're struggling. We've, we've complained twice now. We've still not got it resolved, but we are not going to give up until we get, at the very least, we, we anticipate that the site won't be removed, but that the provider will be asked to make it clear that they're nothing to do with the library. I, I think if that's we get what they'll that, do. That'll be fine. I think that's what you'll get, is they'll have to post that this is a spoof site. Chris, listen, thank you very much indeed. That's Chris Hayward there, uh, who is Cabinet Member for Libraries. Um, listen, you're right. People are offended by different things. I've read what's on that Twitter feed. To me, it's not particularly offensive. But having had a fake Twitter account set up for me, uh, I know it can be really frustrating. And it can be... Some of the stuff that was posted purportedly from me was very, very offensive. Very offensive. Not pleasant in the slightest. Should we go to Lee Valley next? Should we do Lee Valley next? I think we will. Why not? It's the day after Team GB's victory parade. So what next for the Lee Valley Whitewater Centre that saw Bedford's Etienne stop win gold with Tim Bailey? Well, our reporter Luke Ashmead is there. Morning, Luke! Good morning to you, Ian. Uh, Lee Valley played such an important part in London 2012. What happens now? Well, that's a very good question. It's a question that's uh, hopefully going to be answered today because there's a briefing from the chief executive of Lee Valley Regional Park, Sean Dawson, and he's going to be talking about how this very wonderful Olympic venue, and I t- tell you, Ian, it's strange being here today after that five days of competition with the thousands of spectators, the stands, uh, and all the uh, Olympic uh, paraphernalia that was here. It's all down now. It's all gone. Um, and Lee Valley Whitewater Centre returns to something for the people, the people of the local area. That's what's going to be discussed today. Of course, Lee Valley Whitewater Centre was the first Olympic venue, purpose-built venue, uh, open. There were people uh, using this course, members of the public using this course, uh, before the Olympic Games started, and that was the only venue uh, in, during the Olympics and Paralympics that uh, you could say that about. I think what's being discussed here today is that legacy, that L word that we've heard so much about, and the opportunity for people of the locality, young people especially, uh, to be able to use this venue and hopefully uh, have some fun, and also we may see stars of the future, the next Tian Stott, Tim Bailey, uh, David Florence or Richard Hounslow. Uh, Luke, listen, thank you so much. Let us know what happens. Sorry to keep it brief, uh, sir, but we're running out of time. Thank you very much, Luke Ashmead there at uh, Lee Valley White Water Centre, and we'll see what happens and follow that story. Artie Flo is not so well. Go to Bletchley Park. Mysterious. This is just one of many codes you'll be able to crack on a brand new Monopoly board which celebrates Alan Turing's life. The game has been developed from a unique original board in the Bletchley Park Park Museum, hand-drawn by William Newman, son of Turing's mentor Max, over 60 years ago. Well, Jenna Benson went to Bletchley Park to play William at his own game. What would you like to be, the car or the hat? I'll be the hat. The board uh, that we're talking about is one that I drew on a piece of paper 
probably when I was about, I don't know, maybe about uh, 12. Monopoly board sets were rather expensive. So rather than try and persuade my parents to fork out, I thought, well, why don't I just draw a Monopoly board? And as for the game where you managed to, to beat Alan Turing, what do you remember of that moment? No, a slight embarrassment. Um, and uh, no, I just remember that we played it. It was just a, a Monopoly game like any other one. You know, many years afterwards, I assumed that he had some sort of strategy for how to how to win. But I think, on reflection, he probably didn't want to win. And he made sure that he didn't. The original board was lost for a number of years. Yes, well, it uh, sort of lay around in the family house in Cambridge until my father died in 84. And then the house was sold to... Um, a couple who have really sort of taken it to their hearts. They looked after it and preserved it and kept things they found, which included the monopoly board. And so when I went out there, I took my son with me because he hadn't been there. So we went went out there so that I could just show him the house. It's on a crossroads. And the owners saw me and said, oh, would you like to come in? So we had a proper tour. And when we left, uh, he handed me this folder, opened it, and there it was. And how did you feel getting that game back after so many years? I was really pleased. And now the board has been donated to to Bletchley Park. I think I was pleased because it survived, not because I'd been denied the opportunity to play Monopoly (laughs) for all these years. And now it's at Bletchley Park, it, it, it seemed to me highly appropriate that they should look after him. The board we've got in front of us is the developed board. It doesn't have the diagonal line across it anymore, but it it is now a monopoly board. It's been changed and turned into one and it will be released. How do you feel about that, seeing what you created so many years ago at the age of 12 being developed into a board game that will be sold and played by many, many people? Well, I think it's a brilliant idea. I, I think anything, well, anything that publicises his name and his career, anything that gets people to know more about him, I think is just a splendid thing to do. A high energy finish to the show there. Thank you, Jenna. But kids these days, they don't know what it's like to sit around a board game of Monopoly for three hours and play it with your grandparents. That's what life is all about. It's one of those games. I don't think anyone has ever finished a game of Monopoly because it just, after three hours, you go, ah, look, you got more money, you win. You win. There's no end to it, is there? Cracking game. Thank you very much, Jenna. Excellent report. Um, f- uh, very finally, let's get this in a text. Uh, should we be able to laugh at religion? Muslims seem to take themselves too seriously. I'm sure many would like to be part of mainstream society, but are too afraid of falling foul of those who wish to remain in the past. We must all learn to laugh at ourselves. St. Anne in St. Albans. Very quickly, about going to church. Ian, just to say I go to church, I'm not a nosy old woman, as you said. Have a nice day, says Rita. Thank you very much for that. Thank you very much, Sophie. Thank you to everyone who texted and tweeted and called in. It's lovely to get your opinions and uh, lovely to hear that you're taking part in the show so early in the morning. Uh, I shall be back tomorrow at six o'clock. Stick around. Jonathan Vernon-Smith coming up next. Getting beds, hearts and bugs talking. This is BBC Three Counties Radio.